Hello and welcome to episode 240 of the Ram Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Angel. Ow! I'm Kevin. Kevin, are you okay? No. Ow. I'm actually what bleeding. Alright, hold on. I'll be right back. Keep keep it rolling. <laughs> Alright, well, he's Kevin. He While he bleeds out, I'll tell you guys about what's in store for this episode. We're calling this episode a heck of a time in honor of a game that Kevin, when he gets back from bleeding out, will be telling us about, which is his full impressions of uh, what's shaping up to be one of the must-play indie games of the year, it sounds like, Hades. Uh, we heard a little bit last episode, he's going to dive deeper this episode, but that title also kind of works to explain how navigating this whole episode will go. Because, you know, usually, I guess I'm only talking to Angel here at the moment because Kevin's bleeding out, but Angel, as you know... What do you mean? You're talking to usually, our audience. But usually, Angel, as you know, we do games and then we do news, what we're playing and then news, right? This time, this time not Wait, so really? much. Maybe yeah, we used to do games. news and then right, games, then we did games yeah. and then news. For, for some reason, that's what I think of as normal, and these last few episodes, I always think, like, oh, I guess we're doing games first. Yeah, time. it's ever since COVID. That's literally what I tell it. myself every single time, even if it's, <laughs> I guess, become the norm. Well, ever since COVID, I think we flipped it, because that, for a while there, there was not a news cycle. So we just did the games first, and I think it just kind of stuck. But it, f- the funny thing is, after all that, that's not what this episode is. It's kind of all over the place. We have impressions of Steve in Smash Bros. Ultimate, hands-on with the upcoming uh, Kingdom Hearts Memory of Melody, impressions of Spellbreak, and a broader look at kind of the current free-to-play scene on Switch. Uh, we've got that snazzy new Fire Emblem anniversary announcement. we got September MPD's numbers. It's a whole bunch of stuff that really, like, I guess we're just going to let the, like, winds of conversation is that phrase guide us through so what i'm saying is every time i say winds of conversation that would have you're right well anyway what i'm saying is uh now more than ever those timestamps on the blog post roundtown.com those are probably pretty useful because it's not going to make any sense how this goes so just strap in or use the timestamps but uh, we might as well start with the one clearly defined topic we do have which is our episode's namesake which is Hades and Kevin, you gave us like I was saying while you were away from the mic, you gave us the initial first pass last episode. But now that mm-hmm. you've had time to sort of sink your teeth into it, how's it holding up? Like, how, what do you think of it? Okay, in this, like, uh, final form. Uh, let's just say, all right. So technically, you still haven't played this on the Switch because cross save still hasn't been implemented. Fair, but uh, so at, we're talking about the gameplay more than performance. Yeah, okay. but but like at this point, like I'm just going to talk to you, the listener. And I'm going to give this game my wholehearted blessing because unless there are some like crippling technical issues, which I don't think there is on the Switch, I don't really think that there's anything that would deter me from recommending this game. Uh, last last episode, I said that this was like the front runner for my favorite game of the year, and I remember Final Fantasy VII Remake being being at the top of the list. This this not only knocked that game off the the top. But it's also, and I know it just began, but it, but it's, I mean, it's like not a, a very high bar, though. I'm just kidding. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I haven't played it, so I can't say anything. Yeah. Um, but, uh, <laughs> that, yeah, that terse, yeah. I know, I know, I know that it just began, but it, this game is a front runner for my game of the decade. Wow. I love this game. Ooh, and I'm afraid of getting hyped too much. I have heard incredible things about it. Not Kevin, would you say you're just having that it's great? But damn, would you say you're having a heck of a time with it? I'm what having a hell of a time with it. More than wow, more than that just really a, just blows up our title. Yeah, more than just a, a heck of a time. <laughs> more than just heck. Uh, I listened back to what I said about the game on the last episode, and mm-hmm. even though they were just my <laughs> initial impressions, man, I made this. I gave this. I did this game a huge disservice by by my initial impressions, honestly. 
Um, <laughs> really? Yeah. Like what? What? So what's different? Uh, I just like just running through it. I I didn't really explain what kind of game it was. I literally just said I, I I'm pretty sure I literally just said that it was a roguelite. Roguelike. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But no. But but to to make up for my my huge service, I'm just gonna go back from the beginning. Literally let everybody know what this game's about. So, Hades is a roguelite, basically meaning that it has the trappings of a roguelike, but without the permadeath. So, it's an isometric role-playing game from Supergiant Games, who they also developed Bastion and Transistor, both of them available on the Switch now. Uh, those are also indie darlings of the isometric perspective. But, uh, so in this game you take the role of Zagreus, or Zag for short, as many characters in this game refer to him as, and Zag is the son of Hades, which from now on I will refer to him as the H-Man, because Hades is also the name of the Underworld, and I, that is gonna get really confusing if I, if I say <laughs> Hades the dad and Hades the place. So, so H-Man. So, so the H-Man, yeah, the big H. He's going to be Zag's dad. So he's the son of Hades, and he, Zag hates the H-Man. So each quote-unquote run that you do in this game is exactly that. It's Zagreus running away from home. So you're battling your way through the underworld to get to Mount Olympus. Uh, you're fighting monsters, witches, skeletons, warriors of the underworld, that sort of stuff. And you are using one of six unlockable weapons. This uh, this might get just like the teensiest of, of, of like spoilery. So, but right from the beginning, you you know that there's going to be uh, six weapons unlocked. So it's not not big of a deal. Um, so each weapon has like a normal attack, a special attack, and you as Agrius, you also have a dash and a projectile that you can cast uh, before you go into a room like the the encounter rooms you'll actually see the reward that you'll get once you complete that, that encounter. And the rewards range from power-ups, upgrades, monies, uh, collectibles, that sort of stuff. Uh, where the depth in the combat lies is in the power-ups and, and the upgrades that you gather along your trek. So the most common power-ups that you get are boons, which are like power-ups given to you by the gods from Mount Olympus. And like I said in the last episode, they're like the, the very recognizable Greek gods. So you have Ares, God of War, Poseidon, God of the Seas, uh, Artemis, which is the god of... I don't even remember anymore. Angel. Did Artemis show up the in... Uh, or something? Yeah, goddess of the hunt. You're right, you're right, you're right. And then uh, like Aphrodite, goddess of love. Um, so when you are granted a boon, you get to choose between three upgrades that will either slot into like your normal your special attack, your dash, or your projectile. Uh, so that's how you build Zagreus along this uh, these runs. Uh, you're mixing and matching these boons from, like, different gods uh, just to your liking. Uh, like, one of my favorite boons is the one that you get from Poseidon, which whenever you dash, you unleash a wave of water that will inflict damage to, your, like, your surrounding enemies, but will also push them back. And there are there is like wall bouncing in this game. If you knock an enemy hard enough, they will they will fly back into a wall and take damage from that. Uh, another favorite of mine is from uh, Demeter, who is the goddess of seasons, who will inflict like a freeze effect, like a slow effect on on enemies for every normal attack that you do. 
but like where the magic of the game lies is that there's an insurmountable ways to build your zag in which like there will be runs where I don't upgrade my normal attack, my special attack or my projectile and I will focus all my all my power-ups all, all the the items that I buy to focus on like my dash ability to the point where I won't even have to use my weapon against any enemies because my dash ability like especially with that Poseidon boom that I was talking about will do so much damage and so much knockback damage that I could just dash into a high level HP enemy once or twice and just completely like destroy them uh some like there'll be some times where where there'll be a run where I won't even get a dash boom and I'll just focus on my normal and special attacks there's so so many ways to to customize your Zagreus on a run-to-run basis and like I have yet to come across a build that I make that won't get me to the final boss because the game gives you just enough power-ups and upgrades that virtually any build can work to get you to quote-unquote beat the game that's and that's only like half half of the game uh where the game gets more interesting is on the other half which is when you die and you will die a lot in this game you are sent back to hades the underworld so we got to make sure everybody's all right this is this is not the h-man the 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 world not the person exactly so so hades will be the place uh so whenever you die you're sent back to hades and like every time every time zag dies he returns to the office that the H-Man runs, right? Because you know the H the H-Man's got work to do, you know, as the as the keeper as the keeper of the underworld. <laughs> but uh, like if you get killed by by like witches in the game, as Zag is responding, he'll he'll like mumble to himself. He'll be like, "Damn, those witches got me again." Or like if you're killed by skeletons, <laughs> he'll be like, "Oh, those pesky skeletons." Uh, mm-hmm. And like after the a hundred so runs that I've done for this game, I have yet to hear Zagreus repeat a line. It's insane. Uh, so the whole game really is built so much around replayability. It ex- sounds like. Exactly. Like you run and in uh, Hades, before each run, you can you can do a lot of stuff. You can uh, upgrade. You can make these subtle upgrades to Zagreus that will slightly tweak your runs permanently. Like not not game changing like the boons on, that you get on a run to run basis. But little stuff like every time you go into a room, you get plus three health. That kind of thing. Just just something mm. small enough to to help you get better at the game, or make your runs just a little bit easier. Um, but you can also upgrade that that little hub area. Like you can you can buy a key, which will then open up the bar for for like other people, other inhabitants of Hades to like just chill and talk and stuff like that. The, that's the most important part of the game is that you'll be talking to the residents of Hades and by talking to them the dialogue will expand on the story of like why exactly is Zag trying to leave why are people stuck serving his father it's interesting how the game never really resets in a way or at least like so far it hasn't reset for me every run both in Escaping the Underworld and running around the pre-run is completely new which I think is a testament to just how hard they worked on this game. It's, it, you're saying? it sounds really cool just in concept. Cause like, you know, usually with the roguelike, the whole idea is like, Oh, you just keep doing the same rote thing, but you learn from your mistakes. Mm-hmm. But this is like 
combining the progression linear progression with that loop which is something i feel like not a lot of those types of games Wait, but do. don't you beat it every time technically i mean yes like there is a lot of variety which is great and it's kind of what you need from these kind of roguelikes because i'm guessing you could probably beat it in less than an hour so that you can you know do it again differently oh i'll, I'll get or is I'll... it actually long enough that it takes a couple sessions uh, i'm sorry you it takes what did you was the last part Oh no! Or is it just like, or is it something that takes a couple sessions to actually get through? Uh, so like on your very first couple of runs, since you're still trying to understand understand the layout of some of the maps and how exactly the game works, it's gonna take a while until you finally get to. Okay, spoilers for the final boss. The H man is the final boss, but come on, that's. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's pretty. What? Pretty obvious, yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh. Like one of my favorite moments in the game, I'll get back to your back to your thing, Angel. But like one of my favorite moments of the game, uh, regarding the H man, was after I beat the first boss for like, for like my tenth time or so. Oh, by the way, every single time that you go to the first boss, uh, I think she's a harpy. Her name is Meg. Every time you beat her, she brings up the fact that like, oh, so and so killed you last time, and that's why you're here again. It's like it's so clever in that way. Huh. Um, that's a, that's actually very cool. It's world building through your runs, yeah. Instead it, of the run being the whole game. Yes, exactly. Like so, after I defeated her for the tenth time, uh, you hear a voiceover from the H man, and he says something to himself along the lines of like, "Well, time to try something new." And then on my next run, there was a completely new first boss, which was like the sister of Meg, and it like blew my mind. That's really cool. And then what? That's really cool. Yeah, and then later on, when I died in that run... <laughs> it wasn't just, like, a an alternate color of Meg? No, 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 no. It, it's, like, a completely... Uh, <laughs> there's some similarities between Meg. It, it's supposed to be, like, Meg's sister. Um, So, once I died on that run, and I showed up back in Hades, Meg was there, and, like, you go up to her, and you kind of, like, poke fun at the fact that she got demoted, and, like, even she's kind of salty about that. It's so smart. Um... It's so simple, yet so effective in making, like, this genre, like like you said, Jason, this genre that is known for being repetitive on purpose feel new every single time that you play it. Yeah, that's interesting. It almost seems I'm, like it's intention, like, it's random, but it's very intentional at times. Like, I'm wondering if this interaction that you had would probably happen later to someone else, or maybe... Or maybe earlier, or... Beginning. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's definitely one of the one of the beginning ones, but but yeah, the game does does switch it up uh, later on. Um, like I said, spoiler alert: uh, the H man is the final boss. But apparently, oh, and I guess I should point out the fact that I still haven't beaten the H man. Uh, I pretty much can get to him no problem, but he like he's a tough he's a tough guy that 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 H man you know. But apparently, <laughs> like. Even after you beat them, there's still like some story incentive to keep replaying the game. Uh, so I've heard on various other podcasts that once you finally beat the H man, you're still not you still haven't quote unquote rolled credits on the game. Huh. Uh, I'm just amazed that like this genre blew up so much, like the roguelike genre. I feel like with indie games in particular, really blew up, and no one thought of something like this until now. Like, it makes so much sense if you think about it. Right. Because no one, like, just had that I mean, train of thought. I mean, this definitely sounds like 
the evolution of that, but it also sounds very similar, but albeit it sounds like very similar but slightly different than Binding of Isaac, because that one also does the whole like every run you do is like I mean it's obviously it randomized every single yeah. time. Like I mean the main difference between the either one is just that Isaac is supposed to be much more unforgiving, so you don't really get the choice of like what boon you want. I mean the boons are still random, but it sounds like you get to pick whether you want to focus on a certain aspect of your kit versus yeah. this is what you get. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. Which is definitely just what Isaac has. Like sometimes you might get a bunch of power-ups that leave you defenses that might kill you early, or you might get something super overpowered. And this because I guess it's just strictly random, they just have so many abilities that could combine in so many ways that it gets kind of nuts. But there's also like a story integrated into it that... Mm-hmm. You won't I, see unless you play it through apart. hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you eventually beat the mom, then you beat the womb, then you fight Mega Satan, then Ultra Satan, and yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it sounds it sounds cool. Like, it sounds like this one is definitely has more of a integrated narrative structure instead of a, I get kind of disjointed, but I mean, obviously it's intentional that way. Right. Like, it seems interesting. Like, like I, I could see why it's hitting. I mean, that game was huge, so it makes sense that it's something like this. Yeah, yeah. Like, like. Don't get me wrong. Binding of Isaac does have like a, a a story in the background, sort of, and does have its like lore. But this but this game in is the background. <laughs> yeah, this this is a sort of narrative. It's not. I wouldn't say it's narrative focused because I don't think that there's anything that you can do in the narrative side that will affect the the outcome of the story. But there's like dialogue. You know, it's there. There is a narrative here. While in while in, uh, I feel like I think you kind of have to figure it out on your own. Yeah, there was no exactly. Like, yeah. yeah, and then and then like you'll learn secrets about about Hades, and then you'll learn stuff about every boss at, the more that you talk to them, or you can get you can give some of these bosses gifts, and that they'll give you like uh, a relic that will help you out for like the first couple of, of encounters that you do. It's there's like a lot of like a dating sim. Uh no, I I, th- I it, it it definitely doesn't go the full Persona Five route, but I mean, if if it did, man, Aphrodite, whoo, you you guys you, you guys have seen the the memes of just how attractive the portraits of the Mount Olympic uh, Olympic gods I are. Definitely seen, yeah, I've seen the memes, yeah, yeah. The, yep. the art style is beautiful. The the music's amazing. Uh, yeah, I I have nothing but praise for this game. It it definitely has cracked my top. 10 games of all time honestly and like the fact that i can say Fine, that without even without even having like properly beat the game i, I think that makes this game pretty special so i guess mm-hmm. it, so because one of your saying games, that's but... Angel? Not so, so definitely one of your favorite games but you don't know yet if it is your favorite game uh i i definitely have games that i like more than this but it, this it is definitely the decade i'm sorry but not in a decade? It's not from this decade, possibly? Well, this decade just started. That's what he's saying. Oh. It's been 10 months. What's oh, your list? <laughs> that's that's what he means by I'm being very confident about it. Yeah. For some reason, oh, I just yeah. took it as the last, like, 2020 to um, 2011. No, no, no. Uh, my like, my well, last game of the decade was Bloodborne. Bloodborne was... Whew. This game does this game does not be Bloodborne, but uh, it's definitely on the same tier as Bloodborne. I would say 
Yeah, I, it sounds I, like I it's a script. crazy amount of content for like I think it's like twenty five bucks on the eShop. Like that's a lot of content for twenty five bucks if you're going to do it this many times over. Yeah, exactly. And Supergiant is known for their narrative stuff. Like, have either of you guys played Bastion? I've heard good things. I've, I've played it <laughs> so <no>. briefly. <laughs> so, like, but the, never, never got into it. I guess the thing Not about that, that game. Like just, yeah. The thing about that game is it's also like an isometric RPG, but you have a narrator that's narrating every single thing that you do. So they had, they do have this sort of experience with, with uh. I guess procedural narrative stuff. I, I guess procedurally, yeah. I, I guess I would say that. Um, yeah, I I love this game. <laughs> so th- this is like the, the the final form of everything they've worked. Well, maybe not the final, but the next level of everything they've done. Yeah, and 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 they're constantly making uh, balance patches. They it's funny because in their patch notes they will show which which patch or like which change was because of the community like they'll they'll indicate it so they're listening to they're listening to to everybody and this is just 1.0 i'm sure there's going to be dlc i'm sure there's going to be new weapons mm-hmm. new areas new bosses that kind of stuff uh i can't wait i'm excited i just i just need that cross save patch so that i can play it in bed that's all i need yeah and that's the only thing holding it back from being your favorite game ever Weird. oh yeah once once <laughs> once it uh once, once it's on switch that's it it's, it's yep. over for me. Yeah, that's uh, that's Hades. Um, so I guess jumping from one favorite game to another favorite game, Angel Smash Bros. So Smash Bros. Ultimate, the Minecraft Steve and Alex update came out. Uh, I know you've been playing it. I've been playing a little too. What? How you like it? What do you think of Steve slash Alex slash Enderman slash fourth character whose name I'm forgetting? Zombie. It's a creeper. Yes, isn't zombie. It? Oh. Oh, it's a creeper, but they call him zombie for some reason. I guess because he's wearing clothes, so he's a human. No, creeper? it's a it's a zombie. I don't know. The right, creeper, but, but... You're, you're probably you're probably thinking of the the Mii fighter costume. Yeah, the creepers yeah, yeah, just explode true. on you. The the costume is, or the other skin is just straight up zombie. Basically, green Steve. Yeah, but um, yeah. but yeah, what do you what do you think of it so far? I mean, I guess like hot take, and it's funny like my hot take on the character when it first came out, or first playing it and even to now has kind of remained the same like it's just really fun and really unique and just super unique. both doesn't feel like they fit in this game but also feels like they do because they don't i mean it's kind of like um min min like it feels like they kind of play the way you would expect them to play like in their own game like when you're watching like two steves fight it out or or just them doing a bunch of the random shenanigans they do like, it's really just like you're playing Minecraft and the mm-hmm. same thing with Min Min. But for her, it was kind of detrimental because the game she's from gets boring really quickly. But Minecraft, I mean, my brother and I started playing the game like over 10 years ago, well, about 10 years ago, whenever it first came out. And but we don't play it a lot. Like, we still get back to it from time to time. Like, it's still... And the only reason we stop is just not because we get bored. It's just because we get occupied with other things. Right. But, yeah, he's just... I don't know, there's always, like, new fun things to discover. But also, uh, he also just reminds me of um, how creative they did, well, they got with Phoenix, right? But in Marvel vs. Capcom. But essentially, like, you do have to mine in this game. You do have to craft. Um, if anything, you pretty much have to be mining the whole time. And while it doesn't apply as much to tournaments, actually, I guess it kind of does. But 
depending on where you mine, you get certain materials, but essentially you want to build up your wood and iron and you want to get those diamonds so that you can build, so that you could craft, you know, your diamond sword or your iron weapons. And depending on how much iron you have, determines whether you could use your mine card or whether you could drop an anvil. Which or, is or really, the, you know, really the strength of them, because you can do it regardless. But, like, I can start the match immediately with a minecart, and it will go. It just won't do a whole lot. No, well, yeah. I mean, you always start yeah. with some iron, but you definitely have to manage that resource. Essentially, mm, you have yeah, to I remember to yeah. mine, which is definitely something most people will... That will probably be the hardest thing to struggle... That will be the thing people will struggle with the most, because typically you won't think about mining whenever you're playing between a stock... You just want to like run around and, or maybe like just get some distance, but you definitely should just be mining the entire time. And of Honest. course, with such a complex and with such a complex character, you also get a ton of issues, which they actually fixed yesterday. There's still a bunch on there, but I mean, his block building system—the fact they incorporated it the way they did—like mm -hmm. people lowballed, and they thought they were high, like they were overestimating like how many blocks he could put. They figured, all right, maybe. He'll get to drop six blocks max, and that's it. But, nope, you can actually drop as many blocks as you possibly can. It really just comes down to how long the material lasts and how much material you have. So, in theory, you can have almost, like, 20 blocks in the field if you're fast enough, which is kind of nuts. But there are limits to how high up and how far to the left and right you could put down your blocks. But, yeah, just very unorthodox. Doesn't feel cheap to fight against, but I also haven't fought against that many. Mm -hmm. Like... They don't feel annoying. Like I don't like go ugh. like when they when they when, when they appear online as an opponent. Like it's more like ooh, like I wonder what this one's gonna do because they're just entertaining to watch. Because every Steve, I mean Steve, Alex, whatever. Um, I'm gonna call it Minecraft. Um, every <laughs> just, Minecraft just player out there. I don't, I don't think anybody knows who Alex is. Hey, I mean, someone out there may have played Minecraft Dungeons. Maybe. Oh, that poor soul. <laughs> 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 well yeah like every kind of like there are some characters that i mean i don't know i just want to say that like, can only really be played one way mm -hmm. like like i'll say for example like sonic like you can only really play sonic one way and be good with them and that is kind of why like i get, get very eye rolly at some characters like some characters yeah like are tougher than others and can be really difficult to get into but i mean no you may recall like my luigi rant but um, <laughs> at least like with Steve, like he just has so many different avenues that he could take that it just makes every fight with him it's unique and interesting. At least definitely right now while he's still fresh. But yeah, it doesn't even feel like people have really cracked everything that there is to figure out. I mean, with Minmin, it feels like everyone figured everything out within like the first week. But mm -hmm. then again, all her attacks are just like stretchy arms with the few kicks thrown in there. But honestly, I think the... Probably just as cool as Steve is the stage. The stage, oh, for yeah. some reason, just looks really nice Like in, when you're playing in it. Like, All the six characters of them, don't dude. Really There's seem... six, technically. Yeah, like, the characters don't feel that out of place in it, but whether it's, like, the snow theme, the desert, whatever, like, they all just... They're, just... they're just really pleasant to look at. It's just very colorful. And, I mean, maybe it is also just, like, a nice change of pace from seeing the same backgrounds a lot. Because, you know, if, especially if you're playing online, you are going to see Pokemon Stadium a ton. You're going to see the Animal Crossing stages. You're probably going to see Small Battlefield or Final Destination. I usually just pick random Final Destination or random Omega. That way we at least get a different background every time. 
and music for that matter. But I don't know, this one, because I guess it's so varied, like more so than the, I guess, random quote-unquote stages, you know, like, uh, for example, I guess Animal Crossing, it's sometimes day, it's sometimes night. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, it still kind of gives you the same vibe. Or maybe because there's two of them, it's just not as exciting. Or ah, those at the end of the day, have... I get it, because it's night at the end of the day. That was good, that was good. For those stages that have random characters show up, I mean, I, feel, I think the Animal Crossing one always has the same ones, and if it doesn't, then... I can't tell, but <laughs> there's like stages like the, <laughs> like, and I feel like I pitch in that, but I feel like it's always the same ones. Like it might yeah. be static or not, but like, I'm thinking like the King of Fighters stage like that. I know for a fact has different characters show up every once in a while, but unless the Freddy Krueger dude shows up, like I kind of forget they're there. Like they're just not, they're not that, uh, they're nice, awesome details, but they don't stand out that much. They're just kind of. They They're blend in too cosmetic. much with the background. Yeah, They're they feel more cosmetic. Minimal cosmetic, yeah. But the Minecraft stage, like, because it actually has a day-night cycle within the, yeah, within the match, you actually see the zombies, like, walk around, like, go to the doors of the houses. You see the villagers come in and out. Like, it literally feels like there's, like, a game of Minecraft going on as you're playing. That's cool. The background, unfortunately, like... While it does have like some neat lighting, it definitely looks better at night than it does in the day because the lava will glow, and the sky is obviously its own box that looks identical to the one in Minecraft. But if you look closely at the terrain, it looks like one giant JPEG that is like one resolution or two like too low than what it's meant to be. So it looks mm. like it doesn't look fuzzy in the sense that it's like the depth of field like it's supposed to look like it's far away. It just looks pixely. Yeah, and I don't mean in the good way because, I mean, you know, Minecraft, you think could get away with that because everything's blocky. <laughs> but yeah. for some reason, it's even more apparent than, like, um, Garden of Hope because I know, like, some other Smash Bros. stages are literally just one giant JPEG. But I never noticed what, the, the, that with any of them. Huh. It depends on, like, the one that kind of, like, had me do a double take and I was even kind of a little disappointed, even though it literally doesn't matter. Um, in the Pikmin 3 stage, um, I think it's Garden of Hope. It might be something yeah. else. For, yeah, there's no, like a bunch is. of, but something of hope is always the name of the first level. Um, but the SS Drake, the spaceship they use in Pikmin 3, I always mm. thought that was like a model because like whenever you're moving around, it kind of has this tilting thing. But then when you pause it, it's just straight up flat. <laughs> and I'm like, huh, all the time I thought like they just have like really good shading on it and they literally move the model of the ship as you're playing so that it kind of hides it but then when you pause but then when you pause it you realize like it's it's a lie like it's all been a lie like what else has been fake you uh should watch uh what's it called boundary breakers or whatever on youtube where they literally just rip apart all these little shortcuts and oh no yeah i yeah i i do watch that i think from time to time although like sometimes i feel great series um definitely recommend watching episodes only on games you're interested in but I feel sometimes like he talks about certain topics like for way too long. Oh, they're long. Barely, yeah. Like he'll go over like something that I would say is like not as interesting for a very long time. And then briefly go over something that is way more interesting, but then I like, kind of brush it off and go over something else. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, it's still very interesting overall. But yeah, um, I think it's definitely greatest to the roster, especially after the last two not so much i mean they're still well-designed characters 
they're not as interesting. They just weren't as exciting. I mean, especially the fact that we got Byleth and Minmin back to back. I mean, Byleth as amazing and as big of a seller Fire Emblem Three Houses was, it was still a Fire Emblem character. That was definitely like its its downfall, or and also just being released like the last of the Fighters Pass One. I think any other order would have definitely been not as like impactful because it was your closer and your closer was another Fire Emblem character. It was anticlimactic. And then, yeah. and then right after that, we got character from a game that people like, but no one overall seems to really care that much about. Like, they're just like, yeah, we like arms, but I mean, I don't know, the sales kind of speak for themselves. But, yeah. That's the... the sales are okay. It sold like a just shy of 3 million, I think, at this point. That's a decent number. Wii U game would kill for that number. Yeah, the Wii U would kill for anything. Wii U would kill for 5, let alone 3 million. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it's interesting that you're saying... I mean, compared to more. like its other Nintendo brethren, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I know. I'm, I'm just devil's advocate. Oh, yeah. I mean, anything with Nintendo on it is going to sell well. I mean, like, as... I mean, I like Super Mario Not Party, true. but I would... Not true. Uh, are... Steel Diver... For the Nintendo 3DS. Okay, the reason you, never you know why? You know why <laughs> that is like an exception. Okay, I could give you a whole bunch of Nintendo games that bombed. No, I know, I know there's Not plenty, it. but I mean, yeah, yeah. Okay, maybe I shouldn't say anything with Nintendo, but yeah, I mean, I feel like a character-focused Nintendo game like Arms that is like low, really pushing... key, low on the totem pole. Yes, for sure. Yeah, because I feel like that's a game that probably should have done better, but it, I don't know. It was also. It, it probably went too hard on the game as a service, and I think it under-delivered in the beginning, and by the end of it, it, it just felt kind of mm-hmm. like I felt like it finally made... The game it became was what I felt the value was that should have been in the beginning, whereas Splatoon, I feel, had the meat to warrant its price initially and still kept getting more things, and ARMS felt like... Oh, okay. Now we're finally started where it is a year later, and it's over, mm-hmm. and that's it. Well, well, Splatoon had in its in its back pocket the single player. If it didn't have single, if it was like Arms and just didn't have that single player, it would have been the exact same trajectory in terms of how content was added. But it had that single player. Both the one, one and two had it at the ready, so that helped a lot. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think I yeah. think you um you raised a good point about like Minecraft the Minecraft crew just being interesting characters. Cause like, I feel like the second I booted up the game, like just even the way that like they have the announcer say Steve, like it's so out of place. It's just like Steve. And it's like, okay. And then like, you know, he looks out of place. He kind of sticks out like a sore thumb um, design wise compared to the rest of the game. Like, you know, he had that meat of his that uh, Nintendo had to patch out, which he got nerfed. Just steak guys. Yeah. He got nerfed. He lost <laughs> uh, his steak. Shall we say? But uh, no. But but there was something I wanted to touch on um, that you were talking about, which is how like the, how you play as him and how different his gameplay style is. Like, what I find interesting about Steve um, is that you know all for all the characters in Smash Bros. and like all the weird ways that you use them, the, they all kind of engage in battle. So like Steve is probably the only one where you actually need to shift what you focus on when you play like for the other games you're always focused exclusively on the opponent right like there are items there are obstacles there are hazards whatever but ultimately no pun intended ultimately your main focus is on attacking or defending against the fires on the stage the second it starts right like you, the game starts you need either you know you need to like 4d chess your way through the game uh, but with steve's crafting system i feel like i actually like you actually need to refocus because obviously you still need to keep tabs on where your opponent is 
But when the match first starts, like it what it's not like I didn't find myself rushing towards an opponent or immediately dodging an opponent. I like just started crafting, started mining and crafting like you're describing, Angel. And, you know, as we talked about last episode when Steve was announced and again you brought it up, like the the way the crafting system's integrated is really good. Like it is a really good send up to Minecraft. But it just really changes the game in like in Smash. It's it's interesting because like you know his weapons you sort of touched on this too, but they're since they're entirely dependent on what you craft. Like you you can come in and you can do like two things right off the bat. You can drop your anvil and you can throw a minecart and they do okay damage, or you can like hit someone with basically a non weapon and it does like no real damage. But then when you craft, suddenly all your skills become really powerful, especially if you get the good materials like you were talking about. You know like the the diamonds or the iron or whatever over say dirt or wood. And it's interesting because it's like the risk reward, like balance in Smash is very, you know, of the moment. Like you do something and within a second, you're probably going to get your answer that was worth the risk and you got the reward or it backfired on you. But Steve feels like you're playing this really long game of risk and reward where like half the time you're facing all the risk, but then the second half is all the reward because like those attacks get some oomph if you if you craft them correctly like there really is a reward and then that cycle of like this stretched out risk reward just kind of loops itself because steve's weapons are breakable like in minecraft so that's like the kind of ebb and flow is like the gameplay loop of steve is like this sort of drawn out stretched out strung out however you want to say it version of what smash normally is but you can't just do split second decisions it's like you kind of have to plan ahead a little which is so unusual for smash it makes it very distinct from the rest of smash at least for me because you kind of like isolate yourself then you jump into the battle then you go isolate yourself again and it kind of like i've it, when you do smaller a number of opponents it feels like it almost makes it kind of rote at times because like the battles are a little less intense because you're literally like distancing yourself but when it's like a lot of people on screen you still have the craziness but it's just, it's just interesting how like a simple character with one new mechanic is able to really change at least how I approach Smash Bros, which was kind of surprising. I didn't think it'd be that drastic. Like, if that makes yeah. sense. I don't know if you felt the same way, but it definitely felt like there was, like, a tipping of the timeline for the risk-reward of a fighting game with him. Yeah, I mean, all these new characters, I they've just been really interesting overall. I mean, I, I guess I would say Bodice is probably the least interesting because they just feel very basic, but everyone mm-hmm. else brings in, like, a new mechanic to the game. And, yeah, like, the fact that, like, if you have redstone and gold, like you combine those with the minecart, and all of a sudden you have the powered up minecart from the actual game, or you can make your TNT or whatever. But it definitely makes the older characters like look really dated. Like it's and kind of a shame that it's kind of a shame that like in this version of Ultimate, and I mean maybe a lot of it was just copy paste as much as you can and tweak it so that we can get everyone in here, but. Yeah, it seems like some characters like Mario, Donkey Kong, Bowser, as much as I like his moveset competitively, like, as a representation of Bowser as a character, I think it does a terrible job. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, like, it's kind of a shame that these new characters get all this, like, loving attention to detail, like, every single taunt, like, for Steve or, yeah, let's keep it on Steve, like, everything from his stage, his music, his moves, like, are all referencing something in particular. His meat. And then I look... And then I look at Bowser's Dantan, and I'm like, is he supposed to be tripping? Like, I'm not even sure what he's doing. <laughs> and I'm yeah. like, what is that referencing? Like, when does he ever do that? Like, yeah. So, well, so to, to that point, here's a question. Since you're saying, you know, like, Bowser's really good for competitive play, but not as a representation of his character or his canon, have pro strategies? Have you, because you sort of keep tabs on us, have strategies emerged of how to, like, 
use Steve well? Like, is there a competitive side to him already, or is it because he's so different? No, he's it's, it's he's nowhere there, of, nowhere near there. No, he's he's considered not broken in the sense that anyone could just pick him up and win with him. If in fact, like, I feel like if the average person just used them, they'll probably end up killing themselves a lot. I like, definitely it, did. It's surprisingly. <laughs> It's surprisingly hard to recover as Steve initially if you don't really know the ins and outs of how it works. Mm-hmm. But if you do know how it works, he actually ends up having a really, really good recovery. And he actually has a lot of combos and he has potential to like zero to death people like off of one grab. Like he could, in- he has the capabilities with some setups to instantly break your shield, push you all the way to the edge, spawn a block off the stage, jump on the block, and then grab you. Oh no. Oh, yeah. Push the opponent to the edge of the stage, jump off stage, and spawn a block so that you're hovering in the air. And then immediately drop an anvil on said block you just spawned, and then grab your opponent so that you're both dragged down to the blast zone. And you're still able to recover from that, and your opponent isn't. So, you know, there's like a lot of like crazy setups. So there's people that figured out that, oh, if I continuously up up tilt, which is his axe attack upward at someone... They could up tilt, up tilt, jump, continuously up tilt, and then spawn a block under them and continue the up tilt string. And then when they spawn another block, they could do an up smash, which is designed to have a lot of end lag, which means that after you use it, you're kind of stuck there for a while. It's supposed to be open, but since you, but if you use it on top of a dirt block, the block will get destroyed halfway through the animation, which will allow you to continue to attack and just continue the combo. So... Yeah, very advanced character, very competitive. Already won its first online tournament because you know there are no online oh, wow. tournaments. With a under, player, so, so it took less than a week for him to be a tournament winning character. Yep. So I'd like I to remind you, you probably nerfed some other things, but yeah, right. I'd like to remind you, you did start this answer with he's not competitive yet, and then you went into all these crazy techniques and that show he is. So that that's cool. I ho- I wonder if the next character. There's no way they can top something this why this like random compared to a traditional Smash character, right? Like, I imagine the next one's gonna be more of a Min Min or a buy list. Yeah, the only other one I could think of would be something like that's just from a non-fighting game genre, like Steve, like kind of how Phoenix Wright was integrated in Marvel with his actual investigation and courtroom fates and mm-hmm. turnabout. Like, literally everything is in there. But yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what they come up with. I mean, it's definitely, the bar is kind of high. Like, even if you're not a Steve fan, mm-hmm. like, it's definitely very much a what-the-heck character. That, oh, for sure. And that's yeah. why I love him. I love when Smash Bros. throws the curveball. I love when it gets weird. And, like, like I was saying last episode, um, like, that, that finding that middle ground between, like, interesting new mechanics and just, like, weird, like, in, weird celebration of gaming that doesn't feel like it should work but make it somehow does like that intersection of smash is where like i live i love it <laughs> so yeah i, wa- I want them to do Steve more here and his ability to craft blocks all over the place at least that means there definitely won't be any kind of fortnite shenanigans because they would definitely step on each other's toes a little with the <laughs> whole building thing <laughs> true true i didn't think about a fortnite character yeah that would that would make sense or a rocket league car just have a car drive around that's about so it you could see them car. doing spirits but yeah, if they haven't already, but Zagreus and Smash. Really <laughs> <laughs> um, I'd be well, more down you... for that than some of the the top picks right now. But 
Yeah, some of them are a bit. Maybe they'll finally do Gino, guys. All the Mario RPG fans can finally have their piece. <laughs> it's funny, like, Gino could potentially be interesting, but it's be- because he's been so requested. I'm just kind of hoping it's not because I want to see something else. Yeah, something actually, surpri- like, unexpected. It wouldn't be surprising yeah. at this point. Although, that's someone that hasn't played Mario RPG is saying. And I know, obviously, if I had or if I loved it as much as other people did, I mean, I still keep singing the praises, like, you know, Banjo. It's, like, literally no different. Like, we kept saying, like, oh, we want Banjo to be in it since who knows how long. And when he finally was mm-hmm. in it, we were still just as happy. Mm-hmm. But, yep. Get Glover in this. Glover riding his big bouncy ball or whatever. You know what I'm talking about? Glover for the N64 and I believe Yes, Dreamcast? I do. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that bad of a game. The physics were a little wonky, but it wasn't that bad. Gex the Gecko. Nintendo there we go. Nintendo. Gex the Gecko. Um... But yeah, I guess unless there's anything else about Smash, um, this seems like as good a time as any to bring up the Fire Emblem anniversary announcement that Nintendo made just right. this past Thursday. So <laughs> um, the reason is twofold. One, you reference Fire Emblem, and I'm like, ah, there we go. But the other is um, – so like Damn. the Smash reveals – yeah, it's your fault. No, but the, the reason I was thinking is like the Smash reveals are always, here's a character in their game, and now look, they're in Smash. And the reveal they did for this Fire Emblem uh, anniversary announcement was, hey, you know these characters from Smash. Now here they are in this other game. Like it's a complete – flip of the like trope they created for the smash template which i thought was kind of funny so for those who uh missed it maybe what they announced is a port of the very first fire emblem it's coming to switch uh it'll be the first time the original game is available in english although we did get a remake of it on ds with fire emblem shadow dragon uh so i don't know maybe this is using the same script or a pared down version of that script but either way it's coming west in its full like 8-bit form as fire emblem shadow dragon and the blade of light um Honestly, like that Smash Bros. trailer they did was was pretty fun. Like I liked it. I liked how it referenced the conversation. I think all of us probably had around that time when Melee came out, and there's Marth and there's Roy, and everyone's just like, "Who who are these guys? What is this game?" And you know they kind of used as like the way to pivot into the news of the of this re-release. What do you guys think of the announcement? Uh, if anything, didn't know it happened until honestly maybe less than a few hours ago. Really? You went like the you went like a while without knowing. I mean, they did just tweet yeah. it, which is kind of their mo now. But I think I just saw like a picture of it, and I thought the collection looked neat. Yeah, like yeah. the is that is that a glass NES NES NES? It is an NES. Yes, no, NES? it's um, it's so what what it is is they're gonna release it digitally or you get this physical set for fifty bucks, and if you get the fifty bucks physical set, um. I mean, all it's, it did was make me go like, oh, I wish Metroid or some franchise I care about got this treatment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, or Mario, and, and for Kevin, that matter. This feels like a bigger deal than Mario's 35th anniversary game. Well, yeah, that, that's kind of the thing. It's funny because, like, after all that criticism of how, like, Mario 3D All-Stars, like, you know, have physical release that didn't do anything to make it this collectible except into. the limited window. Yeah. Like, it's nice to see that Nintendo's actually doing the full-on opposite here because for those 50 bucks, you are getting, as you noticed, physical NES uh, game box, a replica cartridge. That Nintendo's deeming an art piece, and it comes with a protective sleeve. Uh, you also get a 200-page hardcover art book, an NES-style physical game manual. That's a translated version of the Japanese manual, a fold-out map of the game world, a mini Nintendo Power magazine about the game. That is issue 11.5, which since Nintendo Power used to be bi-monthly back in the 80s, that would mean – or 90 or whenever this came out. That would mean that uh, this would have been the in-between of those two actual real issues, right, which lines up perfectly with the month it was released in Japan. So, like, and um, you also get a download code. Not a cartridge, 
a download code. So there's no actual game in the anniversary edition set that you can like have as a tangible thing. They can actually play just like, like Mario Kart Live, whatever. Yeah, essentially, and um, and then the the game itself. And, oh no, Labo is physical. Labo is physical. Yeah, Labo came with. That's the one that I thought still... should be digital. Cause... Yeah, yeah. It's. I think Nintendo kind of learned. Their... <laughs> I mean, they seem like, to be learning their th- lessons here slowly. Same thing with Ring Fit. Like they literally got it backwards. Yeah. What the heck. But if you do get the uh, Fire Emblem digital game with the anniversary set or not, um, it's not just the port localized. They are giving it some quality of life features that mirror, you know, kind of what Switch Online has in terms of emulation. So that means you'll get your save states. You can rewind them, although now they're called bookmarks and they're baked into the core game menu. It's not like an emulator overlay. It's actually part of the core game. And they're also adding a fast forward feature if you don't want to sit through dialogue or battle animations or what have you. So that game by itself, if you want to download it, is six bucks or you spend $44 more and you get all this stuff along with the download. So that's kind of what mm. it is. We never got to you, Kevin, though. Like, are you – this? I don't even remember. Are you a big Fire Emblem guy? No, right? Uh, I mean, I I played the crap out of Fire Emblem Awakening back on the 3DS. So uh, does this tickle your fancy at all? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, honestly, the, the part of the release that raises the most questions for me is Can I guess? that – Go for it. Is it that it's only going to stay on sale until March 31st? That's one of the things. I think first off, before we even get to that, the thing that I'm really like, what, like everything, all my questions about it are the digitalness of it. So yeah, first off is the limited release thing, but, or well, actually, I'll get to that in a sec. The first thing I was going to say was the fact that it's not part of Switch Online. Like Nintendo has an entire platform for NES games in place right now, including ones that previously weren't released in America. Switch Online. Like, we, we've talked for multiple episodes now about how Nintendo keeps saying they want to do value adds so for the service. Tetris 99, Mario 35. What? Well, I don't, I don't do. know. Because, like, like, I don't know what made them decide, okay, we'll put Super Mario Picross unlocalized on Switch Online, which, Angel, I know you talked about a couple episodes ago. I guess it just depends on the efforts. Like, can I we guess. more money out but, of but, this? But that's the thing is, like, this is a massive opportunity for, like, an upsell for new subscribers. Or it's a value add for those who already have Switch Online. It's the very first Fire Emblem, playable in English for the very first time. They can use a script they already wrote on the DS. I doubt it would move the needle, honestly. I, yeah, well, that's the thing. Is I think one argument is... Um, it doesn't do enough, so why not just take the Mulan approach with Disney Plus and just uh, you know charge extra for it? Essentially, uh, like the people that already have Switch Online, the people already are playing Fire Emblem Three Houses, they're gonna be the ones that buy this. So why not? But I think the 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 other thing is like, okay, fine. So if it's not gonna move the needle in terms of Switch Online, why don't you go kind of halfway here, make the physical version a thing you buy for fifty bucks give a digital copy in that that you download and then everyone else just have it accessible and switch online like if it's not gonna move, if it's not gonna sell that much or move the needle that much just like take the hit have it be a feature ad uh, at you know a value add and then for people that actually want to buy it there the diehard fans are gonna get the set then you get a uh, actual download you can have like they could have done that but whatever they just want the most money possible i guess at the end of the day uh which is also the reason i have to imagine to circle back to what you said kevin the baffling choice that it's only out for limited time so like with Mario 3D All-Stars, like with Mario 35. I mean, when they say a limited time, I mean, is it actually... Yes, like, March 31st, 2020. Be... It's gone. No, 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 no. I, I meant uh, like, 
essentially they're just going to keep like producing as many as they possibly can of these until that day or oh, no, is it no, just no, like no. oh you... we oh, made a set amount and if it happened and whichever comes first they fully sell out or that date i guess poor innocent angel uh yes the physical release is of course limited nintendo does that with all their special editions i'm talking about the digital download will only be on the eShop until March 31st, and then this game will cease to be purchasable in any form. There's oh. no inventory issue with digital. They're literally doing the Super Mario 3D All-Stars thing again. Oh, no, and, I, was only talking, I was only talking about the, the physical Yeah, the, the physical, I, mean, the I imagine. Stuff, they say the physical they, they, is... They pull the plug when they pull the plug. Yeah, so the but physical I mean, is while supplies last, um, which means probably one or two runs, which is what they do with a lot of their special editions. You know, whenever they do like the beefed up, you get the regular game or you can get like the $20 more thing that comes with a little art book. Like those are all limited run. So I don't think the physical people are having issues with, but the arbitrary digital of March 31st, 2020 is kind of what's weird. And I'm sure someone out there is thinking, but Jason, like, didn't you defend uh, their decision to limit Mario 35? Like, weren't you all for that? And uh, I, I do stand by that because that, that's a live, always-on game. Like, it's an experience or an activation, and, and like an event, essentially. But Fire Emblem, like Mario 3D All-Stars, is a static, single-player experience. There's no upkeep here. There's no servers. There's no other people you need to play with. You just upload the file to the store. You list it on the store. And you're done if you're Nintendo. Like, the, there's no reason they should take it away. So the fact that Nintendo is going, like, out of their way to create this false scarcity... Yeah, it just kind of runs me the wrong way. Like, it, it, I definitely think it's them further trying to create that sense of FOMO. Like, if you if you will need to buy a Switch this holiday season if you want to experience this Fire Emblem game, if you want to experience Mario 35, if you want to experience Mario 3D All-Stars. And I get that strategy can work for Mario because, like, everyone knows Mario and those classics could honestly sway a holiday purchase decision if people really are nostalgic for 64 or Sunshine or Galaxy. But, like, Fire Emblem, I honestly think Kevin, your point about, like, you know, it's not going to move the needle. I think that's true here, too. Like, no one's going to buy a Switch for a $6 Fire Emblem game. The people they're selling it to are people who already have Switches because they were playing Three Houses and they're core Fire Emblem fans. Or people who already have Switches and are just like, what's this retro 80s game? Like, I can't see a single person that's going to go, man, I need to spend $300 for a $6 game. So, which kind of negates the need to limit it, I feel like. So, back to what you are saying, uh, Nintendo yeah. creating this, this FOMO. I yeah. don't have an issue with that. My issue lies that this that all these games just so coincidentally land on the last day of their fiscal year. Oh yeah, it's super transparent. It's like yeah, because you're they're, not even trying to you're you guys are mask off. You guys aren't even hiding it at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, literally, and and that's the thing. It's like the FOMO thing. It's like that's just a marketing strategy, right? But like the fact that they're so blatantly being like, we will sell all these things and you will buy all these things up until we have our new fiscal year with supposedly the you know Switch Pro and a huger this bigger lineup of games and everything that will like cover us for next year. Like we just need to carry. We need you to carry us through this year, and we'll make it. Is clear that, that's yeah, the part that I feel that's, is very. I don't want to use the word scummy because I think that's too, too much. It, but it's, it's very corporate. I think it's not. It's I think not corporate is too account that sleazy. Yeah, no, sleazy is worse than scummy. I, it, it's in between corporate and. I, I I don't know what the word is. It just <laughs> it's transparent, but in a negative way. Yeah. Sure, we'll go with that. I don't know. I can't think of a better phrase. And and you know a there is coof. a chance. 
to be fair, that like Nintendo could relent and let it be sold uh, longer. A lot of people, including uh, MPD analyst Matt Piscatella, who we reference all the time, uh, are expecting that after 3D All-Stars promised purchase period is over, Nintendo may sell each game separately at a slightly higher price digitally. And like to Nintendo's credit, or they literally did this just the other week, Jump Rope Challenge, on the second to last day of its release window, they're like, hey, it's going to be available indefinitely. Granted, that's a free tiny, tiny game, but Wait, there is a precedent. Yeah, you can you can download it now, even though it ended on September 30th, supposedly. So there is a chance they'll keep this going, but that's almost even more scummy because then it's like a fake out. So I don't know what's worse. Sure, at this I literally point, just found like a straight up lie then. <laughs> well, I don't think it was a well, yeah, it might be a lie. I don't know, but I'm I mean, hoping, we don't know. <laughs> there's a part of me that kind of hopes they stay true to their deadline because you know, at least if they're being transparent and scummy about it, like they're staying true to their scummy transparency. But if they, you know, on March 29th, like. Guys, Fire Emblem was – you guys really enjoyed Shadow Dragon and the Blade of Light or whatever it's called. Uh, we're just going to make it available forever. That would definitely rub a lot of people the wrong way I think. But, yeah, well, it's not like the collective edition is going to be available again. No, but like this, the, the whole premise of why like, they're, they're trying to get people to rush to buy it now instead of waiting. And I think if they then turn around and go, JK, a lot of people are going to be like, what? Especially if they do it with Mario at the same time. Like I think, I think Mario, they might be able to skate by by going. Well, you got a discount. We're gonna charge ten dollars more per game or something. But like, if Fire Emblem just lives on, it feels like. A, I feel like a lot of people wouldn't be like, "Oh, I'm gonna burn my Switch or something." But next time they make one of these announcements, it's gonna, you know, it's salt in the wound at that point. I mean, does that also mean like? At this point, it doesn't feel like it's happening. So mm-hmm. I mean, just kind of um, theory crafting. But like, sure. let's say they make a like an N64. Nintendo Switch Online app. Um, do you think they shouldn't put Mario sixty four? I don't game think in there? they're gonna do that at all. I think Mario sixty four. We'll talk about MPD later, but I think Mario sixty four or Mario All Stars has proven Nintendo can just re release old games from like they can ride the nostalgia wave as new releases. Like kind of how they used to like Super Nintendo games were all Game Boy Advance ports at one point in time until they decide you know what these are too old now let's just make them cheap downloads or a free add on over the years. I think that's what they're going to do with N64. I don't think okay. it's... Like, I think it's going to start as, like, a premium. Like, you purchase it in collections or you purchase it in, like, these Mario-style uh, bundles. And then eventually, a generation from now on the Switch 2 or whatever, they might do, like, an N64 channel. And I think what what leads me to that, more than Mario 3D All-Star success, which, again, we'll talk about later, is um, I think the big tell... I was so confident they were going to do an N64 mini like a classic N64 edition, and then it just never happened. And then they just started refresh, like re- redoing the whole cycle of the free stuff or the bundle stuff again with Switch Online. Like they did the NES, they did the Super Nintendo, and then they went, cool. Now what if we do that again, but it's part of a subscription service now? And I think they have to go through that whole rigmarole of multiple passes with these games before we get the free ones. They're very di- It's very much the Disney vault. Nintendo is very, very much like just following Disney's footsteps with this stuff now. Which means, you know, if you think about, like, the Switch Online library, I'd say that's analogous to those things being part of Disney Vault, constantly being re-released, and then being put on Disney+. Plus. So they're just going to keep doing that same cycle over and over, I would guess, because it makes some money. So why not? But yeah. if, if we're going down your theory-crafting road. Um, but one other frustrating part of this, though, to me, is that all these 
bizarre digital decisions they're doing are kind of overshadowing the opportunity Nintendo created here. Like, we spent the majority of time not saying, look how cool it is that Nintendo took this previously unreleased, unlocalized game and is now bringing it to fans. It's like basically total fan service this many years later. And not only are they doing that, but they're doing it in that, like a really cool bundle that's really fan service. Like, that thing is like, Nintendo's never done replica cartridges before or things like that. Like, this is like peak fan service. Yeah, that's like a limited run thing or something. They're literally doing it for yeah, Shantae. Yeah, straight or, up. I think that ended yeah. already. Yeah, and it's uh, oh yeah, they did they did do it for Shantae. Yeah, the Game Boy cartridge, right? I think that was a couple weeks ago. And actually, you know, um, the DS Shantae uh, is now remastered with an editor's director's cut on a Switch. Came out last week. So I don't, I don't know if you knew that, but yeah, their Shantae's getting the whole uh, re release thing too. But yeah, like Nintendo never does this, and now they're doing it. And I'm kind of hoping that. Even past, you know, through the digital shenanigans, the release does well enough that it could inspire Nintendo to perhaps port and localize other games. Like, this could be the start of something really cool. I mean, I don't know if there's mm -hmm. any games you guys have wanted to see come stateside that never did from Nintendo. I mean, the, the, the obvious answer is Mother 3. But, Why? like, there. Oh, for everybody. Or, I mean, or in general, Earthbound 2, I don't care whatever they would call it. Yeah, Earthbound 2, I guess. It. But. Uh. I don't even but know if like I get I... it out of curiosity at this point. I, I don't know. Because I, I tried playing Earthbound, but I couldn't really get into it. So I just figured it just wasn't my type of game. Right. But um. But just like this opens the door to that. Like it was, I mean, I it was Mother think of anything else, though. It, well, it's funny because, you know, uh, when this was announced this morning, I mean, uh, we were recording on like Thursday, Captain Rainbow when... or... Well, see, that I'd be into. Well, what else I'm hasn't all... been like, on stateside? So there's a few. Um, there's I like I to Angel's point about weird. I think I, I'd be for more weird Nintendo. Like I think Captain Rainbow would be really interesting. Um, if you don't know what that is, Tingle Kevin. And Land. Um, yeah, Tingle and Rupee Land would be a good one. That's a Zelda spinoff. They could do it for 35th anniversary next year. Um, oh wow! But Captain, that's what they should do for the 35th. Anniversary? No, no, no. As part of it. <laughs> as part of it. As part of it. Not the only thing. Like but a they slap in the for. face. No, it'd be. I imagine they're going to do a Zelda even, even as a five. part of it, that's almost why. It's apparently quite a fun <laughs> game. Europe got it, but um, I don't know. But no, like it. I see that sort of weird stuff is the stuff that didn't make it over. Like so, Captain Rainbow. I don't know if you're familiar with it, Kevin, but um, it's by Skip Ltd. The guys at Two Tribute Robo, and it's basically you're on an island. It's kind of Animal Crossing esque. You're on an island. But you're helping all these B and C tier Nintendo characters that time forgot, and you have to do various tasks for them. It's kind of meta in that way. And there's a game they did before that that never got poured over, or brought over here on the GameCube called Giftpia, which was also sort of Animal Crossing esque, also uh, from the same Chibi Robo guys, also set on an island, also having you do tasks for people, and then you kind of unlock the island as you do more tasks. So, like, if they were to maybe, I don't know, bundle those two together, they never will, but, like, that would be kind of cool. I actually did a. Um, an extra – it's funny that you mentioned Captain Rainbow. I actually did an an extra article here on the site like way back in 2013 that talked about Captain Rainbow and some other weird not localized games that Nintendo could have done. There's one called Kiki Trick, which was from the WarioWare team, but you didn't um, – You it was about watching and hearing things, and then you answered questions about it. Like that was kind of like – kind of like how Rhythm Heaven was like you do mute WarioWare, but it's music. This was like you know, but it's observation. Um, there's some I potential. I guess I do have one. Hmm. I guess um, Rhythm Heaven. Or you know, hand in hand with that, the Elite what, Beat Agent games, the Rhythm Heaven from the Game Boy, from the Game Boy Advance that never made it over here. We just went straight to the DS one. Yeah, that that actually, yeah, that that'd be that'd be interesting. And they could do it in the same way that they're doing. Um, yeah, 
Shadow, uh, Shadow Dragon. Yeah. Yeah, Shadow of Mortar, yeah. Yeah, Shadow of Mortar, yep. Or like um no, but seriously on that same token on that same note though, like Elite Beat Agents. Um huh, no pun intended. Elite Beat Agents, uh in Wait, Japan, did you say on that two... same token? I said on that on that token, but I correct myself say on that note, and then I realized oh, I was gonna say by that token, and I said on that note. But no, um oh that would have been even better if I said token. yeah. Well yeah, because more... I was saying note cause music. Anyway, uh the Elite Beat Agent origin games like elite ages was an americanized version of two japanese games called oso osu something something those could come over That'd literally cool. that <laughs> yeah osu something something yeah and it's fun because that extra i wrote the whole point of it and i'll link we'll, we'll have the link in the blog post for this episode for anyone who wants to go read my uh flowery prose of 2013 but in it i also mentioned tomodachi uh connection which did eventually come stateside a few years later, and that was kind of like in the same vein as some of the other ones. So it's not like Nintendo's opposed to it. And if Fire Emblem works, maybe maybe some some of these could happen. I think realistically, I would assume they're going to do it with franchises that have history here in the states. So like you know the the Leapy Agents ones, your Rhythm Heaven one's a good example because they never quite give up on Rhythm Heaven. Um, the other stuff I was saying is like, there's no way at all that we're ever going to get. Captain Rainbow, as much as I may want it. But, but one I think is kind of plausible, um, something that I'd very much like to see, is Pokemon Trading Card Game 2. Never so I happens. learned... I, I don't know. So I learned fairly recently... No, it's of course not. I learned, But I learned fairly recently that there was a Are second they, Game Boy Pokemon Trading Card Game game that actually included like a real story you you had like a team rocket type enemy there were more cards it's a bigger open world um I, I guess before i go too deep there did either of you ever play the original on game boy color like can you relate to how into this idea i am or am i sounding super crazy right now mm, you're sounding crazy i already didn't have a lot of interest in the card game because it didn't replicate the experience of playing pokemon uh, to my mm. liking so a game boy version seemed like an even worse version of that. And Kevin, I'm guessing you didn't play it either. Nope. Yeah. So, so let me let me <laughs> set the scene here. I was at my peak Pokeaholic like, state. Say Pokemon Blue on Game Boy. So I was at my peak Pokeaholic state, and anything Pokemon put out, I would be into. And I actually really did enjoy the first game. Like you know, I had all the cards right there. You can play it constantly. You don't have to like I. I was in a Pokemon card game league uh, with my friend at our local comic book shop. That was once a week, and like we could play against each other. But uh, yep, I. I don't. I have no shame. I have no shame. But uh, yeah, so having like this accessible way to play the card game with cards I don't own and have it, you know, um, be kind of through like a bit of an RPG structure, like that was really awesome and. You know, the structure, I'll be, to be fair, was pretty loose. Like, you literally were just trying to beat other trainers. They're called, like, great masters or grandmasters or something like that. You just had to beat them all. But the gameplay was good. I liked it. And I feel like if they were to, I mean, this is just a pipe dream now, but honestly, like, if they brought over the sequel, like, it really feels like the perfect follow up to what Nintendo's doing with Fire Emblem. Because, like, right now, the card game is actually surprisingly popular in, like, a nostalgic sense. Like, there's all these stories of, older pokemon cards like going for a lot of money like the um the rapper logic or i guess he's now a former rapper uh he's now a twitch streamer if i'm not mistaken uh he bought an original charizard oh, card. oh a rapper name logic i thought you yes. were like rapper logic someone like, would oh yeah so logic rapper now? logic says that you should get pokemon card no um the rapper logic or former rapper as i started to say he bought a charizard card 
for a quarter of a million dollars. And then as much as I hate to reference this guy, like I really don't want to, but Logan Paul has been doing a series of videos on YouTube about all these super expensive Pokemon cards he's collecting. A $150,000 Charizard, a $200,000 box of first editions. And like, I don't know if it's 90 nostalgia, like combined with Pokemon's resurgence these past few years or what, but like Pokemon cards are kind of creeping back into the zeitgeist right now, especially like the early days of Pokemon cards. So if Nintendo were to want to recreate the Fire Emblem thing, like if it works, maybe without the time limit, but if it works, like a Pokemon card game sequel would would be pretty cool. Like they could package in some classic exclusive cards. They could throw in some throwback stuff like the old playmat, sell it for 50 bucks. And, you know, the fact that it is an older game and it's referencing the older games lets them kind of, in the same way Fire Emblem writes off how the series has progressed since by just going, oh yeah, look, I'm from the 80s. They could do that with this, and I guarantee it would do at least decently. Like, I think I think there is some market for that. So so that's my dream. When I saw Fire Emblem, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Maybe I'll buy that. And then I was like, wait, but Pokemon. And I, uh, I think I'm just going to have to sell Fire Emblem. Honestly. But that's what I'm hoping. But Pipe Dream aside, um, Are you actually do I still it? sound crazy? What? Are you actually going to play this Fire Emblem re-release? You know, I you know I don't know. I mean, I haven't even decided for sure if I'm going to buy it. I, I probably will, but um, I really like the collector set. I'm in for it, in for it for that. But honestly, like one of the things that I found with Fire Emblem is I was getting kind of tired. It kind of I know they're not the same, but it started to feel a little redundant after a while. Even though there's so many different entries with so many different like quirks to it, it just like the core gameplay is just kind of like oh okay. Like personally, I'd prefer Advance Wars. Like I want them to bring back Advance Wars. But that's a whole other story. Um, but the 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 thing with Shadow Dragon and the whatever the name is is that uh, it's stripped down, it's simplified. So I feel like that might actually get me more in because it's more like casual. Like the other one is just like this is a lot, and I keep having to redo this whole system over and over. It just feels like so much every time. So like if this one has kind of a light airiness to it, it would be kind of a nice way to ease back into Fire Emblem for me. But I, I don't actually know if I'm even gonna buy the. Wait, you were once really into Fire Emblem. I bought like all the 3DS ones, and you played Wait, well, how three much? I I played a good amount of Waking, <laughs> not as much as you, I'm sure, but I I I went further in Awakening than I expected, and I actually really liked uh, Echoes where it had the like the little 3D dungeon walk around segments. Like I surprisingly enjoyed that. But but the thing was, it kept like I feel like they just kept layering stuff, which is great if you're a huge like JRPG strategy fan. But I always, like I was saying, kind of preferred like Advance Wars is kind of like the more like uh, straightforward version of Fire Emblem all along. Um, and I always really liked Advance Wars. So as it started to get more in depth, I started to kind of balk at it and back off a little. Did you ever get Wargroove? War I never Groove? did get Wargroove. No, no. Hmm. I think once Wargroove started an- adding animals, I'm like, oh, what? Like, because I just wanted advance. I just wanted Advance Wars ripoff. Like, I was looking at Tiny Metal at one point because that was straight up an Advance Wars ripoff, but kind of 3D. Um, but yeah, I didn't pull the trigger on that one. So, mm. yeah. But um, what do you know? the, I, I will say one one nice thing about what they're doing with Fire Emblem, and, and it's also kind of signed in general, is Nintendo's like they're really re-embracing physical items again. Like, it's kind of nice. I mean, they did it. You know, they've been doing it with collector sets pretty consistently, but they're moving back towards, like, physical prizes for things like my Nintendo and for in-game events and that sort of thing. I mean, I don't know if you guys – did you guys see those Mario Anniversary coins they're issuing for some of their in-game, like, Switch events coming up? Mm-hmm. Well, for those who haven't that are listening, we'll, we'll link to them on the blog post. But they're, like 
really nice. There are these gold coins. There's one for Smash, one for Splatoon, one for Mario Maker 2, and only the top players in specific events in those games will get them. So, like, I think in Mario Maker 2's case, it's a Ninji uh, speedrun challenge. I think it's only available... I think it's the weekend of Hyrule Warriors coming out, actually. I think it's, like, that week into Thanksgiving. And the top 35 players um, will get that coin. And if you're not in those top 35, sorry, you're not going to get it. But, like, between right. that and that, which means I'm never going to get any of them. Um, but between, like, that and, like, the Mario 35th Anniversary pin set and the return of, like, actual physical prizes in my Nintendo is I'll be kind that, of... that great ones, but well, start, but it's like, well, yeah. Is there anything in that that actually has caught your eye? Like, I think the Tom Nook keychain is not bad. No, nope. I, I, I do think some of it comes off a little cheap, which I think is what you're kind of getting at, Angel. Like the postcards for Splatoon, or like the Paper Mario origami like my... sheets. Yeah, because even like the the not expensive stuff in the old Club Nintendo, everything still felt premium, or it felt like even like the. The simple stuff like the Wii socks, the Wii remote holders. Even oh, the little like Wii remote bin thing. As, yeah, yeah. And even though they were like basic as heck, like they were still. I don't know. I don't know why they seemed interesting. I didn't get one because I decided to just save the money for something else. But yeah, I don't know. The stuff coming out right here seems like stuff that you could just find like at a a Nas. I, th- I think it's fine because it's like Nintendo like sort of ran to a little problem because one, they're licensing their stuff out more. So like in the my, in the original My Nintendo days or Club Nintendo days, all this stuff, it was a little more premium, but also there just wasn't merch with these characters so readily available. So now like they're <laughs> now bringing it everywhere. back, but it's – yeah, now it's everywhere and that means they have to step their game up if they're going to charge you know 800 coins for a Tom Nook keychain that's the size of your like pinky finger. So, but I do think it's moving in the right direction. To they set up the the infrastructure to be able to ship these out again, which is good. And like the you know the Mario pin set actually looks a lot nicer than I thought it would. It comes in like a nice little box and everything. That looks a bit more premium. Um, but I think yeah, I think it's uh, what I really want them to do is take the quality of the merch from that from Super Nintendo World. But have Nintendo design it themselves. Like I don't know if you guys saw that they opened. So Super Nintendo World isn't isn't opening in Universal Studios Japan till next year. But they opened a like stopgap thing. It's called the Mario Cafe and Shop. It looks pretty cool. Like it's a restaurant that serves like Mario themed drinks and has like these pancake sandwiches that look like Mario and Luigi's hat. And there's like it's all decorated with like coins hanging from the ceiling and like neon piranha plants on the wall and it looks really cool. And um, like the, the the cups are cool because like when you drink out of the straw, like the must there's a mustache on the straw that lines up with your face, so you look like Mario. But but as cool as that is, the merch is all high quality, but it's all over the place in like design. I mean, some of it's legit. The straws are not bad. They have Mario and Luigi hats you can buy, like full on hats. Which I imagine once the park opens proper, they're probably gonna be as ubiquitous inside Super Nintendo World as like mouse ears are at Disneyland. But for some reason, like, I don't know who's designing the merch, but there's a bunch of stuff that just seems to be centered around the tagline, whose cap? As in, like, whose hat is that? Which is, you know, it has a big M on it or a big L on it. And there's not a phrase, there's not like a Nintendoism of whose cap is that? Or like, you know, I guess they're trying to have it be like, it's a me, but the opposite, like, I, I don't really know. But it makes it really weird because all the merch says, it's like the hat, it says whose cap or Mario's face would be, and it has a mustache under it. And they have it on like shirts and hoodies and earrings and keychains. And it's just like, yeah, such cool 
designs except why does it say that weird sentence in the middle it just drives me crazy and then they have like odd stuff like you can get a drink that comes in a mushroom uh, like super mushroom but to when you unscrew the mushroom to use the reusable cup um they didn't really think through what do you do how wh- where's the thermos hidden so to speak like the mushroom hat's on it but like where's it like how do you get the shape of the mushroom but also have it be a big bowl shaped thing to hold liquid so when you open it it just looks like the mushroom got photoshop stretched super tall like it doesn't look real it looks like counterfeit but the quality of it's like good plastic and the shirts are like good quality so like if nintendo could just like take universal's production line and design the things and put them on my nintendo i guess that's what i'm looking for i don't know um yeah i'm done ranting now <laughs> so i guess i guess we can move on to dreaming I guess we can move on to the next thing unless you guys had any thoughts on that. Any of that. I just went off. Um, Honestly, not a particular. Like, I saw the stuff, but... Actually, no, I didn't, actually, I didn't see all the stuff. I only saw an image that just had the, the hat sandwiches you mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I'm still, like, I'm seeing what's being posted by Nintendo, but only on a surface level. Like, I'm not really clicking any links. I'm just like, oh, wait. Yeah, I've... I feel the same way. I stopped. I only looked at the cafe stuff because I stopped after temp- I saw everything. I listen. I I, tr- I told myself I'd stop, but it's just you know, it's like it's like a drug. No, I uh, they, apparently the cafe is temporary. So I'm like, all right, fine. This is a short term thing. I'm never gonna see it in person. It is what it is. But I've definitely stopped looking at leaks of Super Nintendo World. I've stopped looking. <laughs> right, I'll will it into staying longer. No, but I stopped looking at leaks of Super Nintendo World. I stopped looking at videos of it being built. I stopped looking at a whole bunch of stuff because it got really detailed. And I'm just like, you know what? Like, I want some surprise and some of that magic when I get like that Disneyland magic. Like when you, you know, I I barely have looked at stuff about Galaxy's Edge because I'm just waiting once COVID's over to finally go to Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland and just experience it firsthand. And not know, well, there's this ride and there's this cantina and this robot rolls this way or whatever. Like I kind of want the surprise of it because I think it will just make it that much better. So I'm trying to do the same with Super Nintendo World. It's a little harder though because it's Nintendo, but you know. Hmm. Um, speaking of Disney, I guess I now have a transition. I didn't have one initially there. Um, Kevin, <laughs> you just tried out something that's very Disney, right? The upcoming Kingdom Hearts Memory of Melody. It's only 50% Disney, isn't it? Just what I it's... thought it was out. You're back in. <laughs> you mean of the Kingdom Hearts world, right? Or do you mean this podcast? Uh... Or both. Or both. <laughs> no. Or just don't answer. You <laughs> plead the fifth. Yeah, plead the fifth on that one. <laughs> but yeah, how is – so this is this is the theater rhythm of Kingdom Hearts essentially, right? Yeah, so it's a rhythm, it's a rhythm game. I guess I got to get this off my chest. This game is somehow canon. Like, <laughs> I oh god, dude! Because apparently, I, it's a, I almost choked canon. on my water. The way you, the 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 agony in your voice as you said it. <laughs> like, apparently, it's a retelling of every Kingdom Hearts game up to this point, as told by Kyrie, the I guess the female, the the main female protagonist of the series. Uh, which is whatever. They didn't have to make this game canon. But Nomura, that crazy <laughs> bastard, he found a way to shove this game into the timeline. And bet your ass that when Kingdom Hearts 4 comes out, you will have to have played this game for Kingdom Hearts 4 to make sense. I'm done. I'm sure. I, oh. 
Okay. Anyways, uh, so back to the actual game. But is it, it is it is it like enjoyable to play? Like, if you have to go through this act, will you at least enjoy the process? Uh, okay. So yeah, let's, I guess let's get to the game part. So it's a it's a rhythm game, uh, in the same vein as like I don't know if either of you ever played Amplitude on the PS2. It's sort of the uh, spiritual predecessor to like the Guitar Hero games or I the Guitar Mania games. A game. I played a game. I think it was a rock band on the PSP that people yes, played. Yes, rock band unplugged. Amplitude. Yeah, rock band unplugged. That give that that's a rhythm game right that there. That was a really fun game. That's that's a really good game. Uh, but the, this one's a, a much more simplified version of that. So this it's it's basically yeah amplitude, but with like a Kingdom Hearts skin. Uh, so the demo has four tracks: two from the first game, one from Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep, and one track from Kingdom Hearts. Uh, 0.2 Birth by Sleep of Fragmentary Passage. Uh, God, these names. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so basically, it, it just gives you the option to choose between four of those tracks. Once you choose the track and the difficulty level, which there are three of, you go into the stages where you have Sora, Donald, and Goofy like essentially running down a highway. So imagine Donald, or I guess from, from left to right, Donald, Sora, and and Goofy being, what were the three buttons on Guitar Hero? It was green, red, yellow. I think that was the, the order. Green, yeah. red, yellow. Yeah. So imagine the and blue was the fourth. Yeah. Yeah, blue was the fourth, and, and orange was the was the last one. So mm-hmm. ima- imagine them being, being the green, red, and yellow button of the Guitar Hero games. Uh, coming down the highway are the heartless, the the antagonists of the Kingdom Hearts games. And just like Guitar Hero or Rock Band, once the Heartless make it to the end, you either got to press A, L, or R to attack them, which sort of makes this game easy in a sense, in that even though Donald is to your left, you don't have to press the left shoulder button. You could just press A, and he will attack. And same goes for same goes for Goofy. He's on your right side, but you don't have to press the the right shoulder button. You could just press a. You could press the left shoulder button, and he'll just attack. Wait, uh, so any button does it? Yeah, any button will do it. That seems okay. So, <laughs> and like you've got to time it right, obviously, to maximize your score. And if you're too early or you're too late, you'll get hit by the Heartless, and it'll deplete your health bar. And it's game over once that's depleted. Uh, aside from attacking, you also have to dodge projectiles that are thrown in Sora's path and so you'll just jump and some enemies will be like flying enemies so you'll have to jump and attack them uh, and then there are some enemies that have to be killed simultaneously and that's when you're gonna have to press uh, the shoulder buttons and A at the same time sometimes that'll happen but uh, where the issue for me lies is that I don't know if you guys have seen videos of this but the perspective of the characters and the enemies are sometimes skewed in a way that will just throw off my time completely because they'll either look too far away from Sora mm. and company. So I'll like press A too early and then get hit. But like not only that, but the the like runway, the track, whatever you want to call it, is mm-hmm. so thin and it'll clutter up the track with enemies and then my timing will be off again. Uh, what'll help for sure is knowing the songs because I was able to do the two tracks from Kingdom Hearts 1 on the hardest difficulty and get an A grade on, on both of them. 
but the other two I have, th- those aren't memorable at all. So I failed those pretty quick. <laughs> well, that, that's what always seems to be like the what was the word looking the crux of some of these RPG rhythm games that don't have like obviously this isn't this isn't true for all of them, but the few that I played actually the one I played one. <laughs> the one that I played, Theater Rhythm, mm-hmm. like, the four songs that I really, really like are also the only ones I know. Right. So, but there's, like, almost, like, 100 songs in there. So Yeah, and the song's going to have 140. 140? Good yeah. God. Oh, my that's gosh. That's a lot. And, like, I just know Simple and Clean, and that's it. Yeah. That like, there? like as a... Well, I mean, it's not a demo, but, like, as a Kingdom Hearts fan, I can maybe say, like, 20 of them are going to be like mem- like are going to be right. memorizable like, like yeah like classic like simple and clean the little mermaid song sure um the <laughs> and that's not from the movie it's dearly like the the theme song or, or not the theme song but i guess the main theme of kingdom hearts dearly beloved i'm sure that'll be in there and so you know those are classics i'll but yeah those those other two especially from that from 0.2 Birth by Sleep, a fragmentary passage. I will never know that song. I barely <laughs> played that game. Um, right. But honestly, I've, at the end of the day, I don't know if I'm going to be picking this up, honestly. Something about the presentation of, of like I said, that, that runway. Like, I mean, the, the game Mike. looks nice. It's it's packaged very, very nice. It's I think it's neat that instead of, like, these buttons, you've got Sora, Doll, and Goofy running down the track. But... Yeah. Somehow, like, it looks like they're walking. So, so by them walking, obviously, you can't have, like, a super fast track speeding down. So, it just forces the track to, like, slow. So, then you'll have a, a row of enemies coming up, but I won't know how fast I'm supposed to hit the attack button if I don't know the song. It's... Right. With some minor tuning, I'm sure I'd have no problem. But this is a demo at the end of the day, and maybe with, like... With trial and error, and what I assume will be a steady difficulty curve, this might not even be an issue in the full game. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I I love rhythm games. I, I love Guitar Hero. I love Rock Band. The OGs will remember, like, Tap Tap Revolution on what the iPhone 3G. Oh, yeah. Oh, but, yeah. I don't know. With this game, it's just... iPod Touch. Yeah. IPod touch. Yeah, it's a... It's just, I'm just mad with this game, honestly. And I think it, something that contributes to that is also just... I'm so fatigued after Kingdom Hearts 3. Like, <laughs> the only thing that'll get me back is if Kingdom Hearts 4 or whatever the next phase of of Kingdom Hearts... Phase 2, as Tetsuya Nomura called it, we are in Phase 2 of Kingdom Hearts. The, MC, <laughs> the MCU did three phases from 2008 to, what, 2019? Endgame came out last year or, yeah. or 2018? Yeah. They went through three phases. Uh, 19. Kingdom Hearts 1 came out like in 2004 and it barely ended their first phase two years ago. An unsatisfactory note, I might add. You'll get you'll get the big finale of Phase 3 Avengers style <sighs> when you're in a retirement home in your 80s. So uh, sit tight. It's coming. I'm going to be so... <laughs> if I'm on my deathbed and I haven't finished <laughs> this story of, I, if I haven't finished the story of Sora I will, oh, Nomura will, is going to feel my wrath in the afterlife. I mean, let me ask <laughs> this, though. Um, 
Did Kingdom Hearts 1 end on a cliffhanger? Yes. Ah, uh, dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I not, not a cliffhanger, a... but but it left it very open to... Okay, spoiler alert for Kingdom Hearts 1. Uh, he, he, ha- he has two friends, Kairi and Riku, and uh, Kairi is is like saved at the end and but you still got to find Riku and that's what leads into the GBA game and the, oh, I'm not getting into this <laughs> hmm. so so you're saying you definitely don't get a complete story or as complete as he most has stories. no I mean, closure a lot of, he has I mean, no closure <laughs> yeah because I mean like a lot of stories are in one way or another open I mean one could say, I mean, I would say Toy Story 4 had a closed ending or even Toy Story 3 had sure. a closed ending. But you could also argue, well, the stories keep going. You don't know what happened the week after. It's like, well, okay. But, um, yeah, so, like, I'm just wondering, like, if they actually had, like, a... And they lived on their island happily ever after or... But you said Riku, okay. I guess, you have to find them. Okay, spoiler, so at the end spoiler. Of part two, okay, like, do end... any of them have a... A closing, but you know, I guess Kingdom Hearts Two is the closest one. Okay, spoilers from here on out for the entire <laughs> Kingdom Hearts series. At the end, <laughs> at the at the end of Kingdom Hearts Two, Sora, Kyrie, and Riku are back together on Destiny Island, which is their home. And then they get a note from Mickey saying, "Hey, fellas, hey, fellas, we we need your help." And so, and so. <laughs> And so that that's like it sh- it should be phase three by this point, but no, we're still in phase one. Kingdom Hearts three ends with with Sora essentially dying, and like how are, how are you? Gonna, I almost cursed there. How are you going to end it there? <laughs> but then, but then, no, I mean, no, I we can't have that. Wait, didn't because, he die in one of the other ones where he gave up his heart or something to save Kyrie? Or I, I guess, tec- I guess, I guess technically, no, that was that was the end of the first one. But like, <laughs> no, he's but he's actually dead, dead because at the secret ending to Kingdom Hearts three is he's in real life Shibuya from The World Ends with You. Oh, that's right. Jeez. Oh, right, you did mention that before. I uh, I don't know why you're surprised that the game franchise that can't count its sequels correctly can't figure out phases either, and also can't name things either. Like, why is any of this shocking to you? I, I don't I mean, know. I think that this is the problem uh, with that. I think like Nomura something... will get his stuff together. Like, like Final Fantasy VII remake. Oh well, that's a, that's a whole different can of worms. Now that I think about it, I don't know why. I just set myself up for disappointment with this series. I think it's just Square I mean, Enix, really. It's Nomura. Because I mean, it's 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 Tetsuya Nomura. It's the creator of Kingdom okay. Hearts. Because it sounds like this series could have had a nice tight ending, but I guess he just kept taking a long time between each sequel. But I guess I don't know, maybe it was Square Enix or it's, him. It's that, that he was getting takes... pressure to like release another game that they're like, uh, well, we're not ready to release another game, so I guess they just have to keep padding the story essentially. And it's it that he takes too long. He takes too long in between games, and in between those games, he'll make smaller games that will add just way too much lore to comprehend. He will add lore <laughs> to to like five to a game. Like he'll add lore to Kingdom Hearts one, even though you're in the sixth game into the series. And we will add way too much of it. And he doesn't know when to stop. Final Fantasy seven remake was, was in the right direction. Maybe buying 
memory of melody. <laughs> that, that no, yeah, I'm not, so I'm so not so gonna so buy so Kingdom Hearts melody, Well, since memory of melody is just a recap episode essentially, does that mean I guess we could probably just play that and not play anything else, and we'll kind of get the gist of it? Hopefully. But you'll miss uh, so oh, much of the lore. Oh, absolutely not. Uh, there was a there was a <laughs> where is it? To, he likes he said something about this game where uh, okay uh, where is it? The new story was not meant to advance things significantly, but the fact that it does at all is just insane. And then somebody else said, what? Uh, it will still feature hints about what's coming next. Why? It's a <laughs> rhythm game. Well, the one that's, time how, sell, that's how you sell fan. games. That's how you sell games. Oh, you'll get, funny, you'll get Kingdom Hearts 4, which you won't people, see for 10 years, so you gotta buy this. It's funny, because I feel like most of the time people look forward to sequels and franchises they like, but I feel like most Kingdom Hearts fans that I know it's tend to dread, or... I mean, I, maybe not dread. I no, 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 some games, no, we dread. We, do, we dread whenever in a game It's like, oh, how, how are they gonna... Yeah, how are they going to expand it this time, essentially? Well, it's kind of one of those things that probably when you sign up for it, it sounds so innocent of a story. Oh, yeah, it's an RPG, but it's also Disney, so it's combining sure these worlds I like. like oh, and then they just keep, RPG. And they keep going, well, what about this story? And you're like, I guess I can invest my time into that. And then it keeps building outward, like these this giant ripple. I imagine that's what you're going through, essentially. Like every time they add one, you're just like, I'm already this far in. I have to keep going. There's a there's a great picture where it has the, the cover to three games in a row. And under the, the the cover art for Kingdom Hearts 1, it's like uh, a fun little uh, action RPG set to, set to like Disney World. And then it goes to the GBA game and it said, okay, here's a little bit of lore. And then Kingdom Hearts 2, hey, does anybody else in this room smoke weed? Like, because that's exactly, <laughs> that's exactly what it is. I, Tetsuya Nomura got high as hell and then... I, that that's how he comes up with the lore. That's the only way that I can explain it. <laughs> I'm done. Yeah, that's that's my melody yeah. of memory impressions, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm not even gonna try to segue that. Angel, free to play game, spell break. You played it. How is it? <laughs> There's no transition here. Yeah, I I briefly played this game. Um, I mean, it was free. That was kind of the the main reason. Well, actually the I think it was, I had just finished building my computer, so I just wanted to play something with my brother. And I ended up playing with him and another friend. And it, it's fun. I mean, when you look at it, honestly, the whole time I thought it was made by Epic, right? That's the, the Fortnite the people? For, yeah, mm -hmm. that's the Fortnite people. Yeah, I thought it was made by the Fortnite people because the menu, the way the, yeah, I guess the UI for the main menu, the way the game is presented and set up everything is literally fortnite you have your character profile or your character models like on the in the main menu you're kind of waiting for your team to populate and it just they just stand next to each other and then before the game starts you're just like in this big room or this big area with all the other players and then all of a sudden after a countdown you're all in the sky because you got dropped and you pick i guess zone the area kind of where you want to fall and then you kind of start diving towards it and before you know it it's a battle royale and just like in fortnite you also have the the storm cloud i forgot its actual name but uh, 
it's essentially the barrier that closes in on you as time goes on mm-hmm. that if you stay behind it you end up losing health and you will die and the idea is you want to be the last team surviving so everything about that is identical but where it separates itself is i guess in the actual it's in the actual gameplay which i personally find way more interesting well yeah way more interesting and just more fun than fortnite I, maybe because I maybe I'm just not that great at the crafting and building part, but I feel that part I don't know adds too much pressure because you just have to be uh, maybe also just seeing what people can do, like how fast they build and it's kind of nuts. It's just I don't know it. It feels like too much time and it's also like it doesn't become that fun immediately. You have to it becomes more fun I guess the better you get. This game Spellbreak at least was fun to move around and just literally just move around. It was just fun to play the game, whether I was doing better or not from the very beginning. Because essentially, what I said a part of that, you're all wizards, essentially. And right up from the gate, you pick a primary element or a primary, yeah, like a primary weapon and a secondary weapon. So let's say I want my primary arm to be electricity. And your secondary arm you're just gonna have to find out in the open so you're so let's say you pick the electrical trait um you will have some other like characteristics of the electrical trait and like a very big powerful move that you only get if you pick it as your primary class and as you're out in the field exploring and running around you'll sometimes find other arms that you can use in your left hand that will give you let's say the fire ability but it won't be as powerful as if you had picked it for your primary ability. So that's kind of how they encourage you to mix and match. But the cool thing is that if you use like a powered up electric move or fire move, you could mix it up with your other hand. So you could create a combination of fire and electricity or with whatever your teammates have, which I think the it goes from like, I think there's rock powers, electricity, wind, fire. I think there's poison. It's like gas clouds and stuff like that mm-hmm. but yeah like they're that is pretty fun and then besides that everyone has essentially a fly everyone could kind of fly and glide um you basically have a double jump but the double jump is more like you jump with let's say space bar and while you're in the air every time you press space bar you ascend and it's only as long as you have your meter as long as your meter is full so you could just straight up hold the space bar and you'll go up really, really high because you're basically flying. And then once it runs out, you'll go, you'll start going down. But you fall faster than you gain meters. So while you can essentially let go of the space bar, let yourself fall a little and then press it again to start floating again, you will hit the ground eventually. But just like having that as your maneuverability um, just makes it really fun. And then there's also... Scattered throughout the world, you'll find emblems that give you special abilities. Like some will like, give you the ability to essentially... Because that flying ability that I mentioned isn't that fast. Like it's just a good way to jump around and just gain altitude, but it's probably not much faster than your actual running. But there is an ability that straight up lets you like soar through the air for a couple seconds, like a, like a little mini jet. And there's others that turn you invisible. There's others that give you a crazy fast sprint. Like it's, it feels like just crazy withered battles essentially. And, but because it's also a, I mean, it's a third person shooter, but I mean, same first person controls. 
at least on the mouse and keyboard, which is how I was playing. It is on I Switch for that... anyone that's confused about how you're describing it. It <laughs> is on Switch. You just played on PC. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it is on Switch. It's yeah. the exact same thing. Um, yeah, at least with like, the mouse and keyboard, like I know it's definitely more accurate, but I tend to be, at least when playing with PvP games, I, I don't know, I always overextend my overextend my aim and I just I'm just bad at it I guess and yeah so while I didn't do very well I just still had a lot of fun with the game just because the mechanics are just really fun I just have the idea of essentially having superpowers because it's pretty much what it is and just the mixing and matching of different elements with you with yourself with your partner finding these things on the field and the battles just so cool like it's a really cool thing like suddenly a giant storm cloud appears or a giant tornado and then there's like a wall of fire and then like the giant boulders flying towards you like it's just visually really interesting and it's not even made by epic it's like made by some completely different company but still um <laughs> yeah uh, it's visually interesting it's not even epic <laughs> yeah just because like, it has it feels like it was literally like hey what if we took fortnite and just made it wizards but which is basically the pitch of the that. game. That's the elevator pitch of the game for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, one thing that I mean, caught I'm... my um, attention about it, though is they're not. It is more than just Fortnite with wizards. Like they came out with an update this week that um, they're adding. I, so I guess there's two parts. So there's like a multiplayer mode which replaces the Last Man Standing motif with team-based battles where you actually respawn it's the first team to get 50 eliminations that wins. And then there's single-player mode which isn't just like you know, you complete things and you have challenges you have to do like most free-to-play games, but actually has like chapters and you progress through them like, like kind of like an MMO style, which like both of those seem like a, you know, notch above cool. Fortnite. And in terms of like, you know, they're doing the standard free-to-play thing, but then they're also introducing like a more traditional linear single-player thing and a more traditional paid-for multiplayer experience. But they're all Something still like that is kind of cool just because it's a great way to learn the game. I mean, I feel like yeah. any kind of... It also just gives you more incentive. I mean... Yeah, you can learn the game just from playing it, but I typically like to play a game in a controlled environment first for a while before I feel comfortable jumping online. Mm-hmm. But Fortnite doesn't really give you that option from what I remember, at least like the last time I played it. They do, literally have, like, creative, just... they do have a creative mode where you can practice like your building and stuff like that. True. And now they have like the party island or whatever it's called <laughs> where you can just run around and get a hang of it. But I, I think to Angel's point though, it's still like kind of free form it's like it's a structured way no no yeah like like i want like yeah yeah, i would like like a structured thing like i mean every game has like a training okay i mean technically (laughs) fortnite does have save the world oh that's right actually not on namesake not on switch Switch. save the world's not on switch i think think it's only battle royale on switch i'm pretty sure yeah it's only battle royale yeah just forgot what i said um, (laughs) <laughs> but yeah it, it, it's you know like it, it's kind of cool to see different games taking a stab at the format in different ways like i do like you know like you were saying it is magic Fortnite, basically but it's cool that they're layering stuff um and i think i think that the other thing i don't know if you had anything else to say about Spellbreak before i launch into what i was about to say no not really okay I mean, I was, it's I was, a, yeah it, it's a it's worth a try i mean it's free you have literally have nothing to lose and i, I mean i guess except your time but i think it's worth checking out just because Mm-hmm. It's different enough from Fortnite, controls-wise, not really set up. But it, once you play it, it does end up feeling a lot more different from Fortnite. You kind of forget about all the similarities. Right. But yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think, you know, beyond just the game itself, um, I think what's interesting about Spellbreak and why, like, when you mentioned you play, I'm like, oh, we should definitely talk about the podcast, is, like, it's also a really good representation of, like, a whole side of the Switch game library that we don't really ever talk about being a thing. And that's just, like, the sheer number of free-to-play games available on Switch and how many people actually play them. Like, Spell, like uh, Spellbreak, it racked up over 2 million players in its first week, and now it has over 5 million players after 3 weeks. And, like, to be clear, that's across, you know, all formats, but... When you've got a cross-platform release like Spellbreak, you know, that's a pretty healthy number of people that are playing it on Switch, most likely. And 5 million in three weeks is like, you know, no time at all. And anyone who listens to our show, like, you know, they know we spend so much time talking about the Switch's big, heavy hitters and how well they perform. And, you know, we highlight the MPD charts every month and discuss how various Nintendo releases do, like... I told you it was coming, but like right now I could launch into something about like, hey, Super Mario 3D All-Stars, big hit for Nintendo, number two on the September overall top 10 chart. It bested uh, Square Enix's Avengers, which it was number one, but that's off combined physical and digital sales versus Mario just being physical. Anyway, point is 3D All-Stars, according to leaks, it sold 1.17 million copies in those couple weeks is on the chart. And, you know, that, don't get me wrong, is a lot of copies. And if you factor in like digital sales, it which aren't tracked by MPD, it surely passes uh, the debut of every other 3D Mario release ever, including Odyssey and Galaxy. And even if you don't factor in digital, it still means that 3D All-Stars on its own was the sixth highest revenue-generating launch of any physical Nintendo release in NPD history since 1995 or so. And that's a very big story. And it's one that I'm sure can spawn all sorts of conversations about, you know, whether the success of the compilation gives Nintendo the green light for more quick and dirty ports. If we're going to see more stuff like what we were talking about with Fire Emblem. If, you know, Andrew, your theory about, like, are they going to do N64 ports? Like, are they going to, you know, or a collection? Are they going to do that if Mario 3D All-Stars is the sixth highest revenue-generating game they've had in their, in ever? Like, you know, there, there's all those conversations. But the point I'm trying to make here is, like, that was, you know, just one game. The Switch has been the top-selling console on the MPD charts for 22 months in a row now, including this past month. That's one month shy of Xbox 360's all-time record. And in those 22 months, you know, we saw the standbys, Animal Crossing, Mario Kart, and, you know, both were in the top 10. Smash, Zelda, Mario U, uh, Deluxe, you know, even Odyssey. Like, those this past month were all in the top 20. But that's not all people are playing. It's like, it's what we talk about. It's what the Switch is positioned to be about. But at the same time that all those things are happening on the chart, you got Spellbound getting 5 million people. There's this whole other world of Switch games that are generating massive numbers, like Pokemon Cafe Mix, 5 million downloads in two months. Uh, Ninjala, 4 million downloads in six weeks. Within a day of going free-to-play, Rocket League had a million new player or a million total players active or something like that. So, like, you know, obviously some of these games are multi-platform and others aren't, but I guess my point is, and why I'm going on this little rant, is... We cover what's hot on Switch in such a skewed way towards what the chart tells us is hot, a chart that's based on full um, purchases and retail, which is why, you know, like Fortnite never shows up there. It's based on what publishers are willing to share, which is why Nintendo's numbers never have digital attached. But in reality, there's like this other side of the Switch library that generates a ton of play that isn't really talked about. I mean, we have a friend who plays Asphalt 9 Legends every day, and he's not alone in that. I don't know how many people play it, but like, you know, it's a year after launch, and they're still putting out a new map, and they're still putting out 10 cars in that game as of, like, last week. So, like, it still has attention. And it's the story with, like, so many different games that I went and actually counted how many free-to-play games are on Switch. Because, you know, something like Spellbreak, unless we sort of shoehorned it into the podcast, wasn't going to come up. And there are literally 40 free-to-play games available for Switch right now. 
and a lot of them are heavy hitters. 40? If you are, 40, 40. And I they're over 40. It, it's a lot when you think about, you know, we got the heavy hitters like Fortnite. I guess and 40 qualities, right? 40 qualities. I, just 40 total. But but a lot of them are, <laughs> no, but a lot of them are heavy hitters. I mean, Fortnite, Paladin, Smite, Arena, Valor, uh, soon Apex Legends. The Switch version was just rated by the SRB the other day. Warframe, Dauntless, DC Universe Online, Real Royale, Rogue Company, Warface, World of Tanks, Ninjala. Uh, you know, those are just some of the multiplayer ones. And then if you factor in, you know, Fallout Shelter, Pokemon Quest, Asphalt Nine, Pokemon Cafe Mix, as we mentioned, Elder Scroll Blades, which we talked about back over the summer, like. It's a lot of games to just kind of completely never talk about. So it's kind of nice that was Spellbound and some of the news that's happened in kind of the lull of Nintendo's news cycle. Like it's nice to actually be able to talk about that a bit. Like one of the things that came up that uh, I feel like was specifically targeting you, Angel, that we probably wouldn't cover if Nintendo had their regular news cycle. because Yeah, Fire Ghostbusters and, and Rocket League. And yeah, that's not the one I was going to say, but that's one of them. The other one I was going to say was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Smite. Like, both of these are very cool. much targeting you, I feel like. But, like, these are, you know, it's just, like, these games are so... They're, like, both properties, but... So, I so let's... let's... Smite. Well, I, do you... I, uh, are you... Yeah. I I played a lot of Smite a couple of years How ago. How is Smite? Really? A lot of Smite, yeah. It was the only MOBA that I got into. Because... It's a... Mainly because of the, uh... Because of the way that it played. It wasn't a top-down, mouse-based... MOBA, it was you were actually moving your your god with uh, WASD. Like it, mm-hmm. it, it felt much much better to me. Yeah, you weren't like That's... clicking everywhere to go. It, and it's yeah. third person, right? So mm-hmm. it actually feels like person. you're more in the action than then yeah, than seeing like this one. this yeah this battlefield from overhead. That's also like, what that aspect, oh, made it more interesting to me than, you know. Yeah, I was going to say, like, that aspect does make it more appealing and it definitely kind of kept it on my radar. But at the end of the day, it's kind of hard to ignore now that I guess the, the tur- turtles are in it. I don't know. Are they just, like, skins you buy? or So, yeah, from my understanding, they are, they are skins based on existing uh, characters. So each oh, turtle yeah, has a different trait I mean, based on a different character, um, but there's two sets of skins. It looks like I mean, there's like a I mean, kind I mean, of modern or premium skins, right? Yeah, and this is something Smite's done before, from my understanding. They did it with Avatar: The Last Airbender to hell battle pass. They did it with Bob Ross, apparently. Like he's a skin yeah. on oh. top of a character named uh, Sylvaeus or something. But basically, he is riding a tree creature, and he paints the the leaves on the tree, and that gets the creature to do attacks. It's really, like, wacky and weird. But, um, yeah, I think... I mean, Kevin, maybe you know better because you've actually played Smite. It seems like like they're, these cross these weird crossovers are kind of becoming their, like, hook. Uh, yeah, like when I, I don't know, man. I, I, I said I played that years mm-hmm. ago. And, uh, no, oh, true. Like, fair, that was fair, definitely, fair. That was definitely before they probably had those crossovers. I do remember... I think the only reason I honestly first heard about this game was because they had a controversy with it. With some of... I mean, it is a game where... You are controlling gods from different pantheons, like be it Egyptian, Greek, yeah. whatever. And there was like some issue that they had with some cultures were having issue with how they were representing some of their gods, and mm-hmm. they had to do a few redesigns. Some thought they were being too um, sexualized, but I, they also like showed like their reference, and they were like, "Oh, actually, they were being pretty accurate, but it just wasn't okay for I guess the game, mm-hmm. or it just wasn't being more received." But 
I don't know, like, so I thought they were just going to add, like, other, like, Avatar in it. Like, kind of makes sense to me. Um, turtles, I mean, it, it's cool that they're in there out of principle that it's destined to turtles to me, but I it doesn't make me go... It's not like a game I feel like... I don't know, it doesn't feel like they fit in there. Cause, I mean, they game don't. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, they, like, Bob Ross. I mean, like, it's, it's a game about gods fighting gods, and... I don't know. It feels weird to have picked the turtles. I feel like they could have picked. Well, I feel the like turtles have their own pantheon in it, but obviously that's not going to get the same kind of marketing pool that the turtles will get. Like mm-hmm. turtles and injustice makes sense. Cause that's literally a comic book fighting game. And you have Hellboy and the turtles and all of DC. But, and I feel like that's kind of the thing mm-hmm. with these, with these free play games is because they're it all feels more shoehorned, I guess. It's like, yeah, no. And I, I think that's, I want to say by design, but I think, what these games are realizing. I mean, I riled off a lot of games a minute ago, and a lot of them are very similar. Like, there's at least two or three MOBAs. There's multiple third-person shooters and multiple first-person shooters. You know, there's all of them are, like, multiplayer, like, head-to-head games. So I think the idea of, like, borrowing IPs, whether they fit or not, just going with the popular ones and then making it kind of fit or try to fit seems to be the move to get Mindshare. Because if they're all these services and you only have so much time for so many services, you got to, like, get people in and then presumably if someone's like, oh, Ninja Turtles, I like those. What's this all about? Maybe at that point then the gameplay hooks can hook them once they're in already. Like Ep- Epic Games is probably the master of this, honestly. Like Fortnite, you know, it's literally a who's who of franchise. It's like one of the only things in the world that has DC and Marvel together side by side. And I'm pretty sure they're just, you know, pandering to every fan base until they get those people hooked and then they move on to the next one. It's it even like Rogue Company put Doctor Disrespect from Twitch as like a thing in the game, which is you know, what's he have to what? do with it? Nothing really. He's just there because it's a way to get people to play. It's like how Ninja is a skin in Fortnite, kind of. Like they're just whatever gets people in, you know. Um, yeah. which to your point when you mentioned Rocket League as kind of our final topic of this episode, you mentioned the Ghostbusters. See, that I, one makes sense. That Rocket League, I want to give them credit because they're the other like OG of these sorts of massive IP crossovers besides Fortnite. Um, but what Rocket League I feel like does so well, especially with how they do Ghostbusters with the Ecto One is a playable car, um, back for the Halloween event right now. Um, I think they do a really good job because they make it make sense in the game world. Like Smite, like the key point was these Ninja Turtles are layered on top of existing characters, but they're these characters you know. Or like with Fortnite, Kevin, I don't know. Like do the characters – those are just skins, right? Like if I'm Wolverine, I don't actually have different abilities. I'm just Correct. looking like Wolverine. Yeah. Yep. But, yeah, and, and, like Donatello's like Osiris or something. Yeah, and like technically Rocket League's the same way, but they're not just copy-pasting the character in and kind of making it fit the world. Because everything's cars, they're either bringing in cars that exist as cars, which already handle and behave like cars – or they're doing cars inspired by char- characters, like how they did the Samus one exclusively for Switch back when that first came out. So, like, I feel like Rocket well, League. It was inspired one... by her vehicle, so. Well, yeah, her ship, yeah. true. But my point is, well, no, one of them's the color of her fusion suit. She has no fusion ship. They're inspired by. It's her. literally called Samus's gunship car. I, yes, but I'm saying it's it's her suit and her ship. Anyway, point is, they're not just a copy paste job into a game, whether it makes sense or not. They're actually like. Because they're all cards, they have to make them fit. Like it has to make, you know what I mean? No, I'm trying to say. Like I feel like and it's Rocket funny League how like these it. cars are like so iconic as cars that they're kind of like their own characters. So like when I saw the review for the Ecto one, I was like, whoa, that looks really cool. Just like when I saw the review for the Jurassic Park Jeep, I mean, that actually got me to buy it. Mm-hmm. And like I'm kind of like bum I didn't buy the the DeLorean that I know like my well, friend has. Well, good news. It also looks really cool. 
good news. I think because of the free-to-play changeover that Rocket League just went through, they are reintroducing the cars again through the new shop system. So the Ecto-1 has been in the game before, way back when, if I'm not mistaken. And now it's circling back oh, yeah. around. And, and I mean, it, so. it says in their blurb, like, it says, like, it's the first of the licensed cars being reintroduced yeah. to yeah. Rocket League. And I mean, and they had so many cool, I mean, they had a couple of different Batmobiles. They had, I think they had the Tumblr and the classic mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. So... And I mean, and not even just the cars, like the explosion effects, like the T-Rex coming out and like roaring, like it's just super, super awesome. You have the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, walk, like slowly walking out. Right. And for those who haven't played Rocket League, it's when you score the like effect of the ball going in is what he's talking about. Oh man, or even the Batman one, it's just like a cloud of bats. Like it just yeah. really cool. Yeah. And like, then there's also like... like some other really cool random ones. Like, I don't know, there's like one that I saw the other day with Jason. It was like, it looks like a Rubik's Cube that's getting solved and then it just like explodes. Oh yeah, and all the blocks shoot everywhere. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah that, that's that like one. one of the that's like one of the standard. I think it was the sixth rocket pass, the, like the cyberpunkish Blade Runner esque mm-hmm. battle pass. I I have that one. I have that. And, and then there was one that you had that was kind of cool. I don't remember actually. I don't know if this is the one that you had, but essentially when you score a goal, like the goal turns all crystally from the inside out, and then it explodes. Yeah. Yeah. But, I also had that one. That and like cool. those, those it feels like. I don't know, like, obviously skins are just cosmetic too, but these cosmetics seem to make more sense, I guess. Like, I think Rocket League just does it so well. Not to say Smite isn't doing it well by putting Bob Ross on a walking tree. If only they let you customize the look of the ball, though. I feel like that's a missed opportunity. Oh, I'm sure they'll get there. I mean, now that they're free-to-play, they're going to be making money. I mean, how can they if, like, you're connecting with, in theory, a bunch of other people? I guess you could could just be what you see on your, yeah, what you see on your screen. Hmm. How are you feeling, by the way, Kevin? Because I know you had Rocket Pass and, do, and did the thing. How you? Feeling? I thought you were going to say because like, he probably lost a lot of blood by now. But... No, but how? Oh, yeah, that that too. Have you you still okay? You're not bleeding no, anymore. Yeah, right? yeah, I'm good. That's good. So, how do you feel now that I've asked that important question? How do you feel about Rocket League being free to play now? Because like obviously there's a bit of a shake up. Like the menus are a little tweaked, and there's weekly challenges that are more like in your face without Rocket Pass. And, like eyes, little nips and tucks, but like. Is structurally is it much different if you're a Rocket Pass person, or is it more just they brought the Rocket Pass to us non-Rocket Passers? No idea. I haven't touched that game in forever. Because oh. Angel and I played it a couple times since it went free to play, and right. I feel like the two of us had the assessment of the menus got weird. Like they're not worse; they're not better. Well, considering they're the game came out in what, 2016, of course, yeah. it's been pretty much the same for these last four years up until yeah. now. Yeah, but every whatever change that they're going to do is going to feel weird. Yeah, but I mean, like, weird in the sense of, like, they do a weird thing where so whoever's the host of your party can um, pick the new, you know, match or whatever. But everyone else can go through the menus to pick the match and get as far as selecting the match until it then says only the host can do it. It's like, why even show us that screen? Just, like, say the host is doing lot, it. Like, kind of weird choices that. like that. Oh, is it that yeah. common? I mean, okay. I mean, Apex does that. Fortnite does that. It's nothing, nothing new that hasn't well, been done. never mind. But those games, <laughs> but the, but, but. To be fair, those games always started out free to play, while this one didn't. Right, so maybe that's why it feels weird. Yeah, but mm-hmm. I think it is nice. Like Angel, would you say we've had easier times finding matches? Like there are definitely times we used to match with the same people, and now that it's free to play, I feel like the base is bigger. That's a good point. I hadn't noticed because I hadn't thought about it, but you're right. We haven't been matched with the same people, and I feel like when we're not having well, I. I the time I played with you guys, we didn't have connection issues. At least, like, not like what it sounded like you guys did last time. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, it does feel like we are finding people a lot faster. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think like, like I'm all for anything that opens up a game to a bigger audience because that means there's more of an active player base, and you know that means more opportunities. And that you, if you suck at a game like me, maybe you suck less because there are people who actually suck more. So, relatively speaking, you're better now, just by default, and that's a nice feeling. <laughs> no but honestly like it, it is kind of rocket league is one of those games like i feel like we'll play for a while we'll just stop and then we could just jump right back in and it feels it still feels fresh like it doesn't feel you know what i mean like it doesn't feel like oh this is old now like it's still they're really good about keeping things going in that game but anyway um unless you guys had anything else that kind of does it like that's it that's but the show i guess i don't yeah i guess and that does what, do it what a journey that show was so many twists and turns without any real structure but yeah um that was this episode i mean and and honestly depending on the news cycle there may or may not be just as little structure in our next episode (laughs) no we'll have an episode but in terms of what we talk about or how it's structured who knows uh so we've got the the next man nintendo coming your way on november 8th and then our sub show for all non-nintendo stuff the quarantine chronicles that's coming up the weekend before that uh so you can expect it on november 1st just in time to cure your halloween candy hangover um so make sure you don't miss them you can subscribe to us on all the various podcast apps known to man and woman including um apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher pandora iHeartRadio, tune in um wow i never thought i just kevin am i forgetting any Usually you ask me, but I'm drawing uh, a blank. Tune in, iHeartRadio. Got that one. Got that one. Wait, say, say them again? I, I... Apple Podcasts, Google. Oh, Google. I forgot Google. Apple Podcasts, Podcast. Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Pandora, iHeartRadio. That's about it. Right? I think that's it. I think yeah. so. We're also on YouTube. Uh, RamNintendo.com is our channel name. And if you prefer not to subscribe to us on a podcast app, you can just follow us on Twitter, everyone out there, to get the latest on our episodes and whatever other shenanigans we may eventually be up to. Our collective Twitter is at RamNintendo. Our individual Twitters, I am JSR7. Angel is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O. Kevin is KVN Gomi. And um, that's it. That That's the show. So, Kevin, final word. I said this earlier, but uh, put Zagreus in Smash.